Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Andrew Whitehead. I'm Chris Bellinger. Marshall Temple. And I'm Ralph Enough, and we're back again for another Army Review. This time, we are tackling the undead. It's been a while since we've tackled the undead. In fact, it's been four years. We obviously have a new Clash of Kings book with a lot of changes. Before we get there, you know, we have three people that have not been on the show before, so it's in time for us to get their origin stories, and more particularly, how that intersects with both Kings of War and the Undead Army. And let's start with Andrew. I'm Andrew Whitehead. You might have heard me on Direct Misfire, which is another podcast, when I... Picked up Kings of War probably about four or five years ago. Picked it up by meeting the guys from that podcast and immediately got the got the bug for Kings of War. And the reason that I chose Undead as my first army was I thought that I could quickly paint them up by undercoating white and dipping in some <laughs> some brown ink or some spooky green ink to quickly get an army on the table and, and start playing this game that had just hooked me straight away. And luckily, I loved the army, have been playing it for those four or five years, recently took it to the Australian Masters where I didn't win, but I also didn't lose, had three wins and two draws. So yeah, that's a bit about me and why you should consider listening to me. Yeah, I'm Marshall Temple. I've been Kings of War now, like three and a half years. I'm one of those refugees from uh, the old world. So my first army was actually Ratkin. And it was, as I would describe it, a throw it together, get it on the board and play army, not a make it competitive army. So looking into a second army, I wanted to go all Mantic and I decided Undead and I actually really enjoy it. I love the miniatures that they have for them, for the most part. We got a couple iffy miniatures, but there's a lot of really good undead miniatures. And I've been spending most of my time trying to just enhance my hobby aspect of it, as well as get better at tournaments, because I've been doing a lot of tournaments. So, yeah, one of the things that was interesting, Marshall, is a few months ago, you put a post on there, you were getting frustrated that you didn't feel like you were growing as a gamer. Mm-hmm. And I know you put a lot of effort into playing and, and, and talking to the more competitive players on the scene and trying to improve. And obviously, you did go to Michigan GT with your undead uh, not too long ago, and you had a better finish. Mm-hmm. Talk about that journey you've been on. Well, part of it is we'll end up talking about some of that later on in the show with uh, the undead and its build, how to build and all of that. I would say Undead have this kind of learning curve for newer players. Again, they're really cool and awesome, but there's a little bit of list building for tournaments that you really have to fine tune to become a little bit more competitive. It's just been something I've been reached out to a couple of more experienced tournament players, guys who've been going to Masters consistently, and they were like, okay, what's your list? And we've just work through and fine-tune things to try to counter the issues I run into at tournaments. It's got to be satisfying, though, to see the results pay off. A little bit, yeah. As long as you're the best Temple Brother, isn't that really all that matters? That is true. Out of the three of us that play, I am currently ranked higher than the other. Well, let's turn it over to Chris, who is first time on the show. Uh, I'm Chris Belletier. I'm generally a player in the U.S. Northeast. Uh, but I try to get out of the region when I can. There's a lot of events in Pennsylvania, a great group of guys down there. 
and I try to make it out to Adepticon about every year as well. Uh, I started a while ago as a primarily a 40k player, going to a lot of GTs again in the Northeast. Uh, eventually, I moved down the street from Corey Reynolds, TO of Crossroads, uh, and I used to help out with Crossroads every once in a while. These days, because Kings of War is so easy to run, uh, he doesn't he doesn't need that kind of help, and he uh, lets us play some more of the locals. These days I'm in New York City, uh, but all the events I go to in my normal play is actually just going to different events. I don't uh, have a local play group per se. I've been playing Undead for about three years these days. Going to Adepticon, I wanted to bring a Mantic army. You know, it's like like it's the company's event. You want to bring some of their miniatures. I thought that would be nice to do that. That's my travel army. Been been playing with it for a little while. The first couple years didn't do too well, but you know, it's like after a couple years of playing it, I actually figured out how the models work, and I haven't been doing too bad this past year. So I got an overall uh, win at Unplugged GT, got a best general at the dead of winter up in Albany. Yeah, trying to trying to not uh, shame myself. It doesn't get much better than Corey. Yeah, there's a lot of good players. It's like I love playing these, like, you know, it's like tough as nails players because they make you better. Yeah, that's how you learn, by getting beat. All the time. Well, let's take a quick commercial break. And on their side, we're going to get into the background for the M-Dead Army. We'll be right back. I am the U.S. Masters champion, Patrick Zora Allen, and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge. And now it's time to talk about the background. And fortunately, we, we sometimes have a situation where we bring competitive players on for these army reviews, and no one wants to talk about the background. They're not there for the fluff. They're there to smash face. But luckily, we do have three players that do have an affinity for the background for the undead. But what is it about the undead army that that called you to the army? I don't like playing any good guy armies, like, you know, the shiny knights and stuff like that. I like the uh, type of armies that would eat those knights. So, like, you know, uh, I automatically just, like, skip the first part of the book entirely and start looking at uh, things like the undead plus the undead range for me model wise like you know it's like i'm I'm a big painter uh the undead range the skeletons the zombies fantastic uh the new whites things like that so that's what really drew me in same question to you andrew i chose undead for the for the painting issues that i mentioned earlier but benson had a old bunch of sprues of of Games Workshop undead miniatures that I was able to get from him. So unfortunately, it's not a Mantic army for me, although I've started to add in Mantic elements because I love the zombie kit and and the skeleton kit. I've got a few of them. So it's a bit of a mix and match for me. So yeah, the models are a real draw point for me for the undead army. A bit like you, Chris, I really like the almost imperial kind of evil dictatorship order order over free will kind of aesthetic of of (laughs) armies if something is efficient but you have to give up just you know a little bit of free will who cares about that (laughs) that's lore aspect that draws me to undead and we'll get to this later i love jarvis as a character who switches the whole army from evil to good (laughs) so and he's you know like pained to to have to raise the dead to fight for good uh, but that's the only way he sees to complete the objectives. And how about you, Marshall? Well, so originally, again, it was the models that got me to the army. But once started looking at the lore, the undead and Panathor are really interesting. They can show up anywhere, whereas some armies are kind of restricted to their region. Uh, EODs out in the middle of the desert. Undead could, I mean, they could be in your backyard. They could be up north, up south. They could be out in the ocean. 
Undead can show up anywhere. There's that, um, the 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 fact that they the necromancers and the vampires are just giving up parts of their souls essentially to try to again conquer death is a really interesting idea that I find when it comes to the setting. There's just a lot of lot of lore there that you can just pull on and use for the armies, especially. Yeah, I'm like you guys, though. The models are great. It was actually my first Mantic army. When I bought my first models, it was really to build a Vampire Scout army. Those hard plastics are still great. They have the integrated basing. That's kind of a thing of a bygone era, but the skeletons are awesome. For me, they have that Army of Darkness aesthetic, which I like. And obviously the ghouls and the zombies and some of the other kits like the werewolves. Yeah, we probably could use a new werewolf kit. You know, the whites are interesting because when I started playing, whites were on 25 millimeter bases, you know, and they were a set of three. Like it was a unit of three whites and they were inf- they were infantry sized. And now they have obviously grown. The models are great. Wraiths. What's really interesting is one of the few armies that you pretty much have almost everything you'd want in the army they make a model for. Death Packs. And Necromancers on Horse. Those are the two that I know of. They don't have... You might be able to use the ratkin, like the little rat swarms as the death pack. That's what I use. Marshall, take us into the background for this army. All right, so this army, there's a lot of just little things because it's... While it is undead, there are other factions within the undead that are a part of it. So it's just more than like, hey, Necromancer raises up people. We've got, of course, the Necromancer. We'll start there since it's kind of the base. Necromancers are raising up these skeletons, people. Normally, former soldiers is what they're actually looking for. Uh, in the books, uh, I believe Faith Aligned talks a lot about it. Again, great book. Definitely suggest reading it. But they talk about how they specifically go after soldiers or people who have some type of military background who are dead and try to raise them because they're pulling the souls like from the abyss is what's happening. And they're bringing back that portion. And that's why the skeletons have that just that little bit of knowledge of they can fight. They can, you know, they, they work together in a unit. Where zombies don't have that because, you know, it's it's just the very basic, oh, just here, boom, back in your body. You know, very quick. So anyone can be a zombie, but soldiers become skele- or the skeletons, and then revenants are the elite, right? They're the ones who more of that part of their soul is back there. Necromancers kind of make up the big part of it. You've got your vampires who are blessing of Oskin. Many consider it a blessing. Some a curse, but the vampires, they look at it as a blessing. They live again, almost forever. Uh, even the lore talks about the idea that vampires, if you don't properly kill them, like if a small piece of it lives, it's possible over hundreds of years, that vampire could return. So the lore kind of shows that vampirism is definitely a serious problem for the land of the living. But that takes us into like the whites and the wraiths. They actually are a little bit more intelligent because they are the souls pulled from the abyss. They are fierce. That's why they're so tough. They're they're ethereal. They're they're the souls, but they do not want to go back. So they serve the necromancers fiercely. That's why like they're fearless. They just don't want to deal with uh, going back to the abyss. No one does. But that brings us to our living 
undead, your ghouls, your werewolves. Werewolves, traditional werewolf pack. You got your alphas, Lycanus, and then you got the rest of the pack. The ghouls are really interesting because they just follow undead armies because, I mean, they're cannibals. They eat the dead. They they get become corrupted. And one of the things I found, I don't know if it comes from a Dungeon Saga book, but one of the things I found in my research looking up Panathor's undead is they had the clan travels with the ghoul Ghast, which is one of our units, but then there's like a matriarch that stays back and is like the one that actually is making deals with necromancers and vampires. There's a lot of little things. Again, it takes a lot to bring a undead army truly together out into the world. So again, there's a lot of lore for the undead, and I would love to see a full book about someone trying to bring an undead army together. Jarvis would be perfect. If you want to know more about the lore, there's three books I have suggestions. Drowned Secrets, Faith Aligned, and Hero Falling. Right. The first one's by Ben Stoddard, and the other two are by Mark Barber. Awesome books. You had a good point about, you know, maybe writing a book about the undead. I I wonder if there's trepidation on Mantic's part. It is a archetype fantasy trope. It's really hard to set your own spin on it. However, as Andrew alluded to earlier, the Jarvis thing is a great element. You know, the fact that you have this guy that's, you know, in love with Ophidia and he's come and he he actually turns your army good, I think is is, is amazing. And God forbid we ever get an Ophidian army at some point. I, I, I will be beside myself. And let's get our first question from Jake Cherapika. Is Undead still the Surge army? I feel like we have a reputation for it, but other armies seem to have better units and tools for Surge to be impactful. Arrow elementals come to mind, for instance. Who wants to tackle that question first? Totally good point. Reasonable point. You know, because Kings of War, it's a, a tight game rules-wise. And we have a bunch of different armies. But because there's such a wide variety of armies, there can also be a diffusion of the rules. Like if you think of Surge as primarily an undead mechanic. But, hey, let's give it out here and there to some of the other armies. You do that too much. It's no longer just the undead thing to do. And there's that kind of dilution, especially when you think about air elementals, because they're so good. And I know I've been burned by them. So, like, you know, that that's probably at the front of a lot of our minds. What do you guys think? Like, you know, it's like I, I was thinking about it's like, well, undead and, and EOD, certainly. But on the tabletop, once in a while, I'll see it with abyssal dwarves. If you got a bunch of them out there. Of course, you see it with air elementals, sometimes the trees. But do you see it popping up in a lot of games? I would say that a lot of other armies have a surge element to them. Air Elementals being a great example of that. They're a a great unit that can be surged and that's part of their strength. Whereas perhaps the whole army isn't a surge army. That being said, I feel Empire of Dust are more of a surge army than, than Undead because they get their unit that gives you the, the free surge. So they've got those elements that really lead into it and encourage you to surge. The number of times the enslaved guardians have been surged up onto a, a hill to shoot, <laughs> that's so annoying. And they'd have almost every unit, if you take an, a, a shambling list, that can be surged. So the threat of surge is still always there. And my opponents certainly bemoan the amount of surge that that can occur. But you're always you're seeing so short 
surges rather than other armies which which can go for those long surge plays i would call it tactical surge is what we do versus eod who can like do multiple units and kind of be more strategic we're like okay well we can get one unit into a good place an inch or two out boom easy hit versus like i'm going to surge across the board that eod can sometimes do I think the other distinction to bring up is the EOD, most of their army is shambling, whereas in the undead army does have a fair amount of quality units that aren't shambling. And that might be the perception, right? Like you, you see an undead, but the other guy, they got werewolves. Unlike the Empire of Dust, where there's a few non-shambling units, but they're not that many. In my mind, EOD relies more heavily on that surge mechanic than undead because you have other tools, but. That's a good point, Rob. And maybe uh, if we all want to reflect on like, what, what kind of undead can we run? Like, I've been throwing around uh, a couple lists where it's all vampires and werewolves to see, like, oh, what, what is this? My my current army that I've been running a while, it's all, I want well, not all, like 90% surgible to all the dead undead. How about you guys? Like, you know, it's like, what uh, what kinds of lists do you favor? I've done exactly the same as you. Um, in the past, I've been running, yeah, mostly shambling. I felt that was the strongest archetype for undead to to be playing <laughs> but you know spoiler alert for later in the episode as we talk through some of the clash of king changes i think non-shambling undead have got some nice buffs and i've been playing around with lists to to try and lean into that more heavily i'm mostly shambling except i, I do like to run one if not two hordes of werewolves well, awesome. Let's get into the army review. Let's start with the army special upgrade, Undead Giant Rats. A unit gains life leech plus one, but they cost, what, 10 points, I think, to, to get this. Is that something you guys are paying for? I find it's not on the units that I w- would use an extra life leech on. Right on. It's not bad. It just never seems to find its way into the list. It's great if you're using the formation. Oh, yes. Just that little extra life leech, but beyond that, it's okay. Yeah, like I, I, I wish it was on any of the other units that I actually use. Like, you know, it's like once in a while, I'm buying Revenants, I'm buying Zombies. Uh, am I going to spend those 10 points on those units if I have them laying around? Generally not. Funny, because when we start these off, you know, we always have the discussion of where does that army special rule fall in the grand scheme of things? And where, where do you kind of see it fall compared to all of the other army special rules out there? It can't be high. If if we if none of us ever really take it, yeah. it, it can't be that but, good. What's the best army special rule? Is it Kingdom of Men who have indomitable will? You can knock off a waiver or you can be self-inspiring for a turn. That's pretty good. We're talking about the army special upgrade, but Undead have a lot of sort of rules that could almost be considered their special rule in that, that a lot of them are fearless, a lot of them are shambling, so it can be surge, and a lot of them have life leech leech as base so if you think of those as the undead special rules they're great they're 11 out of 10 so they should probably just give this to you for free even if they gave it to you for free i'm not sure how impactful it will be because i mean you still have to do a wound right no no absolutely there's so many combats where uh i'm putting zombies into something and they're not meant to take down at least the regiments that i take they're not meant to take a big bite out of something so am i doing one wound yeah. Do I appreciate getting that one wound back? Absolutely. Will they ever do two wounds? Probably not. 
And we should mention that the army is also evil. I think that's probably obvious. Well, this is the only army where you can add a special character and you can change its alignment, which is really cool. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the when we get to Jarvis. But let's start in the infantry section. We'll start with skeleton warriors. This is one of the units that got some changes. The skeleton warriors comes as troop regiment and horde and 10, 12, 25 attacks, uh, 11, 15, 22 nerve. They're obviously fearless. 55, 85, and 140. And then they have Life Leech 1 and Shambling, and they can also take the Giant Rats for plus 10. The change from Clash of Kings is you can actually exchange your shield for a two-handed weapon for free, and it lowers defense to 3+, plus and you gain Crushing Strength 1, whereas before, you used to have to pay for that. David Musgrave does ask, does the RC hate non-spear-carrying skeletons if they seem worthless in an undead army? Are you guys taking skeletons? And if not, why not? I know I'm not. When the army had a little bit more of an Army of Darkness flavor uh, and also had that Army army of Darkness formation. Yeah, yeah. I I would take that. It it made the skeletons cool, buffed up uh, a lot of their abilities. And we'll talk about both revenants and zombies. I find that the skeletons are an interesting midpoint between the two. And because we're all horrible min-maxers. You know, it's like you're not going for that middle of the road option. You either want like, you know, the economy of the zombies or for me, usually I'm going with the high defense uh, and higher nerve of the revenants. So uh, they haven't seen my table in a long time. We're blessed with so many infantry options. Zombies are super cheap and then revenants are super tough. Even, and we'll get to these guys in a sec, the skeletons with spears, they've got a little point drop and now they're your midpoint, I would say. So I also haven't found a place for skeleton warriors that often. I sometimes do wonder though, for the extra 15 points over a zombie regiment, if you do upgrade them to essentially defense four instead of defense two, if all they're doing is sitting and holding an objective, the last thing you want is for some little amount of shooting that wounds on twos to pick them off on turn six and you've, or you're clever hiding them out of the way has been for nothing. For extra 15 points, you're a lot, it's a lot less likely for that to happen. But, you know, as I say that, I've not, I've not taken them in, in my many years of playing. So I don't know if the RC hates them, but they don't love them. One of the things I've noticed, if I ever see them, they're mostly in hordes, and they mostly always have that crush one upgrade is the only times I've seen them on the tabletop with undead. But the fact that, I mean, you're losing that defense to three for the crush one, they're melee five. I I think most of the time people are like, hey, if I'm just going to hold an objective, just zombie regiment over there. Yeah. Because of that, we don't see them much. I I would love to see some changes just because these aren't used often. The melee five really hurts the crush one option, even if it is free. You're probably wanting them to keep their defense four more than get a crush with hits on fives, at least for me personally. Have you guys ever messed with any of the the troop ones, the dash 11, 55 points? Because you would almost think that that has to be one of the cheapest options in our whole army, but... I think about it once in a while and never take it. I think skeletons have the same problem that many armies have, which is that middle unit is kind of outplayed by the cheaper unit if you just want someone to get in the way or outplayed by the more elite. I mean, Kingdoms of Men is the same thing, right? You have shield wall. 
But if you just want something to get in the way, you take militia. And if you want something to actually do some fighting, you take foot guard. And so you end up leaving the shield wall at home. And I think it's the same thing here with, with skeleton warriors. Cause I don't think it's a, it's a, a problem that's unique to undead. I think it's across the board that we have these middle of the road, Jack of all trades that don't really specialize enough. There's better options if you're both on the low end or on the high end. So bring back those army of darkness themes. Absolutely. We should probably get into skeleton spearmen. I think they're a really good choice now. They've had, had a little points drop, 65, 100, and now 165 for the Horde. 12, 15, 30 attacks, 11, 15, 22 nerve. Uh, hits on five, defense four. They're the skeleton stat line, but they have phalanx and the extra couple of attacks. For the Horde, which is probably how I would run them, they're 165 compared to Skeleton Warriors, which are only 100, which are 140. So for 25 extra points, you're you know you're not paying too much for what I consider a a good improvement. I like to put the the Dragon Shard Shield on these guys. Give them a turn of defense six. Yeah, turn of defense six because you can if you get charged, you'll live in a. You'll, typically, you'll live if you're a Horde. You've got a nice chunk of nerve and. And phalanx will stop any, you know, like that'll help in some situations. And then you can sit back, activate your dragon shard shield and, and get uh, surged back into combat. So you've kind of got a, a really tanky unit that will then hold up the enemy for quite a number of turns. What do you guys think? Oh, I think exactly that. Again, putting that shield on it, I that, that's been used against me uh, with the Neo-D army. So... But absolutely, that that's to me. If you're going to take the skeletons, take them in spears in the horde, one maybe two. If you think you're going to run into lots of flying or cav, because it's that the the phalanx that is what does it really. Yeah, uh, that that ability to take the hit from those calves and flyers. Yeah, and they're not there to do any offensive damage, right? They're there to soak up damage and take a punch from cavalry or flyers. And so you're obviously not going to give them any magical artifacts that are offensive related, but dragon shard shield would be a good one. It'll be interesting. You know, we've had lots of discussions on this. Are we going to see more spearmen in the game? Because, you know, failings across the board got cheaper and it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors outside of the strong elf armies. I haven't really seen a lot of cavalry. Varanger may be the exception, but you know, people typically are not bringing a lot of knights because the, the inherent weaknesses that, that, that some of the cavalry have. So, I mean, are you guys expecting to see in this new Clash of Kings 2024 landscape, are we expecting to see more cavalry and stuff where you think the spearmen are going to be justified? No, but I think that undead struggle with units that are a lot faster than they are, the cavalry and speed 10 flyers. So having something in your list that scares those units is probably not bad. Yeah, I don't, uh, not necessarily, these aren't necessarily the most optimal choice, but they're not, they're not bad. They're certainly not bad. It's like a, a war engine parked to the side. It's great if it kills something, but really it's more about the, the, the bark, right? It's the, it's the, I'm projecting a threat. You don't come near me. Same thing with this, with any phalanx unit, you know, you put it out there, you're probably going to deter a cavalry unit, certainly from lining up against you. Why would you dive into that knowingly unless you had no choice? Nice little thing here is that they're, the regiment and horde are unit strength three and four respectively. So that's a nice little bump, you know, over warri- skeleton warriors and zombies, which we'll get to, which which are one less. 
Yeah, for the cost increase, you're getting obviously more attacks, which really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But the unit strength is is obviously a big thing, and obviously phalanx, right? The, the minus one to hit from the front for flyers and cav. I mean, I know I'm certainly considering it, you know, uh, in in all of my armies that t- can take it. Well, let's talk about revenants. I'm a big fan of revenants. Revenants these days, no big no big changes with Clash Kings, except they now get the option, kind of like EOD. Where you can exchange the uh, uh, their weapons and shields for uh, one lower defense, so a four plus, and get get crushing strength for free. At least for my playstyle, I use these guys super defensively. I'll probably never be doing that. Just the 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 base regiment is what I like to go for. They are more expensive than the skeletons, but you're getting a pip on the melee, and you're actually getting defense five, which is which is pretty awesome. The defense five and the dash seventeen, I think, where is where it's at for 125 points. They barely ever contribute much to the combat, but they're going to hold you up a while and then let my hammers eat through what they need to eat through. They're a discount. And people look at them and they're like, "I I don't want to devote anything to kill that weedy unit." So they're while they're trying to get at your your mummies, your whites, stuff like that, shove these revenants up there, get them in the way. How do you guys run them? I used to run a horde and gave them Brew of Strength. They got 25 attacks on fours. Uh, In a horde at dash 24 with defense five, they're certainly going to get a few rounds of combat, you'd hope, if you can protect them well enough. If you've done it right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is a theme in Undead and Kings of War, to be honest. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually like the idea of swapping the... Uh, shields for two-handed weapons go to defense four get the crushing one for free another good candidate for dragon shard shield perhaps (laughs) and yeah even you you do that and they've still got 24 pips of nerve so they're still gonna survive if you give them one of those big ticket items uh, plus one to hit or plus one crush all of a sudden they're a very durable hammer i think i'm gonna try and play around with that see how that goes may not make it into the most optimal list people can create, but the change is good. They're a good unit. You're not wrong that the re- regiments are very well costed and and a, a good. You can't go wrong with them, right? They're they're a good unit. I, I've had some friends run with the revenants. Is the hammer of measured force another good choice? One horde hammer of measured force, and you can just run them at things. It's bad when you're undead versus undead. When I throw my zombies against them, but anything that, you know, higher defense now all of a sudden, oh, well, I'm wounded on fours. And that's huge for the revenants. So that's a great way to include them in your army as well. Well, let's get into the zombies because I know everybody here plays zombies. So obviously this is the, you know, it, it is what you think it is, right? So they come in a regiment, horde and legion and their defense too. They're just there to soak up some damage. And get in the way, and they're super cheap. Their unit strength is 2, 3, and 4, 15, 22, and 28. 28 nerve. In fact, that's where Dash 28 got its name from. 0. 0.70, 115, and 170. And nothing's changed on these guys. They're still good. Would you guys ever take a Legion? In the formation, you could. Like, that'd be, that'd be fun. The reason I would never take a Legion is because that's too many zombies to paint. <laughs> <laughs> fair point fair point i don't know about you guys i know one of the first units i put together for my uh, undead army was a legion of zombies and i played with it for a couple years because you got to build out the army and one of the first things that came out of that list was that legion of zombies 
But uh, as a centerpiece unit, you know, it is great. It's fantastic. It has its uses depending on the scenario. Because really all it is is just a big block of nerve. And so if you've got a really good spot, like uh, I remember in one game where there was two blocking pieces of terrain, just enough so I could put my zombie legion in between, nothing could get flanks on it. Now there's just this big, like, hey, you can't pass here unless you got fly. Like, you just have to chew through it. And if you take a couple of healers behind it, just uh, that, that legion is not going anywhere for a while. I think that the reason why I don't take legions in general is that if it's just there to get in the way, anything that'll take out a lord will we'll take out the legion in the same turn. It's six more points of nerve, and I, I get that six more points, but when you're defense two, if, if, if it'll kill a horde, you're probably going to take out a legion in the same in the same go. And so save yourself the, the 55 points. We all have seen many, many, many hordes. Do you guys ever take the regiment of the zombies? All the time. Exclusively. Yeah, just like you, Marshall. Like That's the only ones I take. They sit on an objective or they get in the way or they unlock or they're just 70 points. <laughs> they're just so cheap. They really bully out some of the other cheap unlocking options because <laughs> I just keep coming back well, to that's, it. Right? That's what's interesting is they're, they're actually regular. You know, other things might be cheaper, but they don't unlock. And so that's unique that you have a unit that is so cheap that has such a, you know, you know a dash 15 nerve and can sit on something and provide you some additional unlocks in the army, which which is great. If you take a horde, it's it's good because it can sit on two tokens if you position your tokens and zombie horde correctly. But yeah, it's sort of pretty niche. How many of the zombie regiments are you guys running these days? I've been doing one or two, uh, and I've actually been consciously trying to shift away from them because a lot of my other army unlocks anyway, so I don't need that. So I'll go with a death pack for a little bit more speed to grab loot tokens, things like that. And with that stealthy, you know, I get a little bit of utility utility out of it. Uh, how are you guys using zombies? Depends on my build. More recently, I've been going two, maybe three, with the idea of, you know, I, I want enough to be able to sit on objectives or if it's, you know, everything's in the center, just, hey, go block things, get in the way, cause havoc. I mean, yeah, that that's kind of how I, I generally look at them is they're, they're just there to get in people's way. And one or two is all you really need. If you're doing things right though, everything's chaff if it helps you win the game. So yeah, that's right. I've started running just the one I used to run two, but I have recently, well, not maybe not that recently, but I've started falling in love with zombie trolls, which unlock and are cheap enough that you can, you know, get enough of them that you're not really hurting for unlocks anymore. So that being said, I, I almost never leave home without one zombie regiment because I find undead really want to bunch up and be aggressive. So sometimes it's important to just leave something cheap at home to hold that objective that's on the other side of the board. They're really not bad. <laughs> not bad yeah. for 70 points to do that. Do you guys have any of the the, the crazy... Uh... Uh, I think of uh, Ray Why Not uh, out here uh, on the East Coast with the 30 units. Oh, no. Only zombie regiments. Yeah, uh, he's a madman, but he's good with it. He, he gives the opponents the joy of just like murdering stuff every turn. And at the end, you're like, oh, I didn't murder enough. Yeah, <laughs> he's still got <laughs> 10 regiments left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, while we're talking about zombies, it's probably a good time to talk about the formation that we've alluded to. Uh, it's called the Shambling Blight. It's two legions of zombies. You pay an extra 10 points for each, and you get a Gore Blight, which is plus five over a regular Gore Blight. And in this formation, the, the units gain the Shambling Blight keyword. And for that, the Gore Blight gets Rally 1 for Shambling Blight. So now you've got Dash 29 legions, which is pretty awesome. But, but even better, I think, is that the zombie legions gain iron resolve and phalanx they have life leech one you're probably going to do a wound so you're going to be gaining wounds back from that you're obviously going to be able to uh iron resolve 29 i mean they really would have to put a lot of effort into it to knock it out in one turn uh and and whatever they put into it it'll be way more than 180 points i mean you guys have probably run the formation just talk to us a little bit about your experience with the formation yeah i haven't run it for the modeling reasons yeah <laughs> that's, that's a lot of zombies too, too it's 120 zombies. zombies so i'm the only one here who's actually run the formation take us away marshall tell us what we're missing <laughs> i both love it and hate it at the same time because <laughs> it, again it's it is a block of nerve and if your opponent's not ready for it they're not killing it I, my reason why i love and hate it is you get phalanx on zombies which is nice but they're defense too. So that phalanx is lessening the number of hits, but everything's wounded anyways. So it's kind of a, mm, okay. The, the rally is nice, but it also means you're not separating them if you want to get the rally for both. And that can become an issue because that means you're now putting that in your core area. That means everything else has to work on flanks or has to be able to jump over with most of our flyers being sur or being surge, except a few heroes, you can't quite, you know, get over them as easily. So there's that issue of it's all about, you have to kind of flank around the sides and you have to hope they survive, but it's not a bad formation. Like, again, it looks really fun on the battlefield because you have two just massive blocks of zombies with some gore blight in the center. Because of that low defense, the, the phalanx is not as useful. You're stepping thunderous charge, but mm -hmm. your defense too, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. You know, we should mention the Gorblight's a monster. Uh, so on a 50 millimeter base, speed six, melee four, defense five. He's got D6 plus six attacks. He's dash 17 at 175 points. In the formation, obviously 180 points. But what's interesting, he's got Cloak of Death, which I think I love. I love Radiance of Life and I love Cloak of Death. Those are just, you know, in a way you could talk about them in the same like dread or brutal it's like you're affecting the combat by not even rolling dice and he's got crushing strength two and life leech one uh, and shambling obviously so jeff shilkin up in upper minnesota has run this formation to good effect before he decided to play ogres i think you're very right marshall it's a difficult formation in the sense that it has a large footprint you sort of have to put it in the middle of your army where else are you going to put it? You know, well, it's slow, right? Like, what are you going to do? Put it on the flank and hope it gets to the middle for dominate? In one sense, it is useful. But on the other hand, it, I think it kind of scripts what you have to do in the game. Exactly. Your opponent has to deal with it correctly, though. It does put a little bit of the onus on the opponent. Because if you've got dash 29 with life leech and iron resolve and cloak of death, if they, if they do a half a job of going into them, they potentially could get ground out by this Gorblight and two legions of zombies. The Gorblight is on that nice 50 millimeter base that's surgeable. So, you know, he can get into a flank. And then as long as 
you don't roll a one for the D6 plus six, he's going to do some damage. <laughs> this is one of the few formations where you at least have to think about it, right? It's got, it's got some viability depending on, especially if you were already playing and leaning into zombies, especially if you were playing hordes, right? If you're already playing big units of zombies, then it's certainly an option. Well, let's go into some more infantry. Let's get into... Do you guys play ghouls? No, not here. I've tried them. <laughs> I mean, they're speedy, right? They're speed six with wild charge D3. They come in a troop regiment and a horde, and they're melee four and defense three. But they're not shambling, and that also means they're not fearless. I don't know. It's one of those situations where I just don't know where this thing fits. It's not really a hammer unit, and it's not really a defensive unit, and it's also just not cheap nerf, and it's not fearless. Like everything else on your list, so now... You know, that's the one unit you really got to pay attention to where your inspiring is. So I don't know. Andrew, have you tried the ghouls before? No, I haven't. I'm the same as you. I can't, when I'm thinking about my list, I don't see where these guys come in. I just can't pick for them. I don't have a, yeah, I don't have a reason to take them. And so I don't, I, I do worry that them being not fearless makes them a little bit of a liability. You can't, I don't like using them as chaff because if they waver, then that could be a disaster. That's worse than dying. Yeah, much worse, much worse. I think they might have a bit of play if we lean into the non-shambling undead that I think is becoming more viable. So I'd like to try them out in that type of list, but I don't think they really have a place in the shambling style lists that I've been playing. Here's something that I've been thinking about. Like for for ghouls, I was looking at them for some scenarios like uh, loot where you need to run up and grab something. So something that can at the double and go grab it, get it. Sure. Uh, I personally find death packs a little bit better for that. And now with the changes to the skeletons, the skeletons just one less speed, but they're hitting about as equivalent. Uh, and now have like can have the same uh, defense as these ghouls, so it, it puts them into I think a, another weird area of like being in the middle. And now the middle has even more competition with itself. So if you, if you weren't taking them before, I don't know if you're really going to want to take them now. But prove me wrong, Marshall. What you take them all the time? Nope, uh, I've played with them once because I'm like, wow, I'm. They've asked me to be on a podcast for Undead. <laughs> I've never played ghouls. So I, I proxied my zombies as ghouls and ran a mostly ghoul list because, again, I just wanted to try it out. And I would say regiments, there's really not much use for them at all. When it comes to troops, there is some usefulness there. If you want chaff that's tall enough to block for your infantry, it's a really good option, right? Because it's two, height two, whereas the death pack's only height one, which we'll get to them. So uh, a, uh, what is it, 70 points for a troop, 12 attacks. That's not bad chaff. Being able to move out the double can still get in front of things. Regiments, I don't see much use for them. A horde, though, has some potential. I, what I did was put a brew of sharpness on the horde. Now they're hitting on threes. You got 30 attacks on threes. And again, we'll get to it. The hero has the ability to give them thunderous one. That changes up a little bit, but you do have to spend those points to bring that hero to give it the buff. And of course, add that sharpness. Even though the sharpness you can get away with not doing, but 
it's an interesting way of adding that extra punch that most people wouldn't think about with ghouls. It's just you can shoot them easily. Well, we're at the point where there's a reason why Andrew's on the show, and it's because of this next unit. So take it away, sir. Wraiths. Got to be my favorite unit in in the undead list. Wraiths are speed seven, melee four, defense six units. Uh, They come in troop or regiment, uh, unit strength one and three, attacks 10 and 12, nerve dash 12 or dash 16, 120 points or 185. Importantly, special rules include crush one, fly, life leech, nimble, shambling, and strider. And look, the regiment, eh, the troop size of this are in at least half of my games, if not more, the absolute MVPs. I staple two two Wraith troops onto almost every list that I'm trying to win with because they work as chaff. The opponent is never quite sure how much they need to put in to kill them. And if they don't kill them or they don't ground them, which with Defense 6 is has happened, you know, they can just go mental they'll fly over the back and nimble pivot a couple of times to be surged in a rear or go and find a flank somewhere they're great for like yeah like i said they're great for screening because of their uh, their height too so for example whites can see over them guys are these not just the best units in the game well, they used to be better when they were speed 10. See, I never played them, and I still love them. Yeah, but, but they didn't have Strider back then, so, you know, it's it swings and roundabouts. But, you know, I think the Wraiths have been a staple of many competitive lists since first edition. They're great. For good reason. Absolutely love them. I'm going to counter your troop, though, because the troop are awesome. Like, if you're taking Undead, you should have troops of these. Don't sleep on the regiments, though. I've taken regiments. I've thrown them against a horde that doesn't have crushing and that horde has stopped for the rest of the game because now, uh Oh, well I'm doing one or two damage a turn and Oh, it's healing up one a turn from light sleeve. Those regiments that dash 16 defense six, that's really difficult to take out for again, some armies. Now, if everyone's got crushing one or two, then yeah, it's not as nice. But nice regiment can just smash into things. And depending on the units, you can sometimes still get those, you know, flyovers and hit other things. Andrew's on to something with the troop because of the depth of the base. You can, you oh, can get it over stuff and you can get the pivots, right? Which is huge. Because, I mean, that day that you get your Wraith to go over the unit and do the pivot and then you surge them into the rear is the day that you just lick, lick your lips and go, oh, this is fantastic. I like the the regiment for a similar reason to that too, because because of the depth of the base. If you're playing with the withdrawal rule, you you can back it off, and you can do the ninety degree pivot, and and uh, charge something to the side. It has to all line up, but that that's a little bit trickier with uh, the troop. But now, what you're saying, Andrew, I need to go model some troops. And I like the models that Mantic makes. I know, I know they're they're old. It does what it says on the tin, right? It's 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 a wraith, you know, an undead spirit with a giant sickle, right? It's just a great looking unit. Yeah, I think in the upcoming meta, where I think dwarves and defense six are going to be really strong, and most armies or are going to focus on how do you kill defense six. The wraiths might lose a little bit of their effectiveness if I see. A mage with alchemist curse. That is the end of my poor wraiths. You know, they 
they have defense six, but they only have twelve nerve or, or sixteen in the regiment. But you know, if if you if you take a few a few wounds on them, then they are you know likely to to go down. So you, in the in the right slash wrong circumstances, you do need to really protect them because they are quite expensive chaff. But yeah, still fantastic. Still going in every list. At least the Alchemist Cursed Mages aren't going to be mounted anymore. That's true. With the Boots of Levitation, right? <laughs> At least it's going to take them a little while to get up there now. Yeah. So we've got Mummies, Speed 5, Melee 4, Defense 5, Height 2. Troops have 10 attacks, Regiments 12. Uh, the Nerve is 14 for Troop, 18 for Regiments. And we're at 115 points for that Troop, 180 points for the Regiment. They've got Crush 2, Life Leech 1, Regen 5, and Shambling. These, these are a lot of fun. I call them Tar Pits because unless you're killing it in one turn, they're, they're coming back. So that, that Regen 5, everyone hates it. I know I bring two with every army, and then I throw uh, Aegis of the Alohi and then Han's Sanguinary Scripture. Those are the two uh, artifacts I throw on. And there's so many games. I think last time I played Mike Ross, I, he was like, Chris, didn't I do 12, 12 wounds to that unit last turn? And it's like, you've done 12 wounds to that unit for three turns in a row, dude. And uh, the regeneration and the heal and all the healing back, uh, that's how you crush souls. The only negative thing I got to say about this unit is the models aren't great. Out of all the range, this is the one unit that I'm like, ah. They're PVC, and they don't rank up very easily. I'm with you. They're okay. I mean, the, I've been painting mine. You can make them work, but yeah, they're 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 mummies. I mean, they just need to give us another mummy kit. Hard plastic. Make re- make make revenants, you know, in a mummy kit. You know, if you make mummies, you can use it in EOD as well, right? So it makes makes sense. Yeah, they're weird for me in undead. I sort of feel like mummies should just be an EOD unit for, from a thematic point only. You know, gameplay there, fantastic. Matt, you're not a fluff bunny. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying to pretend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we made them ghosts, I think that would be perfect. Then, okay, here, here's your mummies over there. All right, these are ghosts. They have the same rules, but they're ghosts now. Yeah. That would be perfect. Well, Matthew Schneider has a question, and his question is how to run vampire units and characters in an army effectively. It seems like you could take an army without them completely and not have any issues. I miss my vampire counts. So on the end of that question, let's talk about Soul Reaver Infantry. Soul Reaver Infantry, speed 6, melee 3, defense 5. They come in troops and regiments, 15 and 20 attacks, 11, 13, 15, 17, nerve, and 150 and 230 points. Uh, And they have Crushing Strength 2 and Life Leech 2. So these used to be in second edition. You'd see two two regiments in almost every game, or the mounted versions, right? Um, I don't see them as often. So, you guys talk to me about your experience with Soul Reaver Infantry, especially in context of Matthew's question about how do you effectively run vampires in an undead list? So, at the start of thirds, twenty five attacks cost two hundred and fifty points in the regiment, and I th- I think we can probably agree they were slightly too good at that <laughs> at that price point and and that number of attacks because with that number of attacks it sort of uh, exponentially scales and you just you can just run things into the front and with a bane chant or an item and just one round uh, enemy units the, and it's a bit of a feel bad like there's not too much you can do to stop that so they needed a nerf but they didn't really want to nerf them 
so what they what the rules committee did was really clever in that they said we've well, already got whites which we'll get to are fantastic at about the same price point so you don't have to compete with them knock the attacks down knock the points down and all of a sudden you have still a fantastic unit this this unit is still a blender it still goes into things and minces them so i almost always take uh, a, a regiment of these because you can shield them with uh, some of your chaff options and when they get in with life leech too they stick around they really stick around uh they, they and they don't need very much support to to one round uh other units still they don't come to the table for me what i used to run them and i was terrible about using them and it's probably because like I just have a lot of decent players around me and they knew, oh, that unit's trouble. I got to take care of it. So they just like never could eat their points back. And and being a what I consider a straightforward unit, one of these living units where you have to march up the board and usually hit somebody in the face. I'm not great at that. I want to be cheatsy with you and, and, and uh, surge you in the side. Uh, so for me and my playstyle, like you know, I, I've never been able to run them. I don't miss them. Fair enough. So yeah, PTSD is like the the term I use for this unit. <laughs> Any experienced player is like, I've got ranged. That's dying. My war engines have a target. Exactly. I hate to say it. If back when they had twenty five attacks, this was before I was playing undead. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree with you. Now, eh. I mean, the whites are a little bit scarier than them, but that's one potential use. Like, you can actually use your Soul Reaver literally as a bullet magnet to get your army in to hack everything. If they die before getting into combat, then it's better that they only cost 230 points, not 250. <laughs> right. I often put a RevCav troop in front of them, so they're height three and Soul Reavers are only height two. So it, it just reduces the amount of shooting that they cop. And to be honest, I think Australia probably doesn't have the outrageous shooting lists that you have to deal with over <laughs> over there. Certainly, certainly they've been shot off. Certainly they've been killed before they get into combat. But they probably, you know, on, on balance of averages... Do it. Do some good work for me still. So let's let's since we have a proper Aussie on the show, let's ask him. Is it because you guys have self restraint? Why is it that you don't see the shooting that you see we see here in the United States? <laughs> it must be. You're better people than us. Your words, not mine. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, obviously, I'm thankful for it though. Well, on that note, let's talk about the undead's ranged infantry units, and and it's the skeleton archers. They're basically skeletons with bows, and they cost 70, 95, and 165 for a horde, uh, and 11, 15, and 22, and they have 8, 10, and 20 attacks. What's interesting about this unit is if you're going to have a unit sitting on a token in the backfield, why not have a unit that shoots and is still fearless? Talk to me about the skeleton archers. Uh, have you guys taken them? Back with that Army of Darkness formation, I love to take them. Uh, you could set up a fire base with those and a few bale fires, and it was pretty nasty. But these days, I know that hitting on fives it, is it a little bit demoralizing to you rolling the dice and you throw these twenty dice, and it's like, oh, I've hit three times, excellent. And you don't do any wounds because you have no piercing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, unless you're shooting zombies, you're probably not going to, not going to, you know, potentially not going to yeah. wound anything. So, yeah. Let's go from one irregular unit to another. Let's get to the swarms. Chris, take us through the death pack because I know you're a fan of these guys. Yeah. All right. Uh, speed six, melee five, defense two, uh, height one. They come as a regiment, unit strength one, 12 attacks, 10, 12 on nerve, uh, 75 points. That's the one I like. Uh, or you can get them a horde. Uh, 24 attacks, 13, 15, 125. I've never seen anybody take those. Uh, I think where they excel, the surprising Life Leech 2, instead of just a 1, they're nimble, stealthy, and vicious. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I forget they're vicious all the time. There are a couple occasions that they actually make it in the combat. But I use these guys as my quick loot token grabbers, uh, and I think they make... Great chaff because they're sitting in front of your units. You can usually see over them. Uh, rarely do they ever forget to die uh, when, when they're wounded. I love that. Uh, yeah, I like them a lot. I like my chaff thick. <laughs> so <laughs> I've not <laughs> taken <Or> fearless. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. I, which and also I don't have them. Don't have models for them. So yeah, I, I've not actually taken them. But every time I look at them, I think. Yeah, they're a good choice, and everything you've said is correct about them. I'm sure I would also forget Vicious every time. (laughs) They're also kind of fun to run alongside kind of werewolves uh, as chaff for werewolves, since they're also living, so they, they can be wavered. But if you do happen to get into combat... You've got the werewolf hero. Again, having that little extra, if it's a large infantry, can be useful. But yeah, if you're just using it for just straight up chaff, uh, it also works that way. The only issue is that speed six versus the nine of the werewolf. That becomes an issue. I think they make a nice chaff for the whites and maybe for the zombie trolls. We'll see. But like, you know, they can, they can stay the six movement at them at, at the double a little bit, get, getting up to seven so they could stay in front of those whites and just prevent any kind of charges to the front. Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you want to be a chaff, you want chaff to cover the whole base. Andrew, you want to take us into Revenant Cavalry? Rev Cav, speed eight, melee four, defense five, come in troop, regiment, or horde. Uh, 8, 16, or 32 attacks, uh, nerve 14, 17, 24, for 115, 175, or 300 points. They've got a bit of life leech shambling and a couple of thunderous charge uh, for their special rules. I take two troops of RevCav <laughs> every time I, I start a, a list. The, these, are, these are my chaff. Um, they're really great for screening against shooting or whatever's coming in the number of times that you know dash 14 defense 5 doesn't doesn't go away that easily they'll often beat other chaff they are not terrible on a charge into the right units um they they can if they get into a flank they they're all right um in the in the regiment they're a really nice mobile anvil so they can hold something up and I haven't really used a horde because that is just such an enormous space. But yeah, if you want a giant block of, you know, defense five, dash 24, pretty good speed, it's going to run into something, put a nice item on them. And all of a sudden there, you don't have to think too hard. You put them, you deploy them in the middle and ram them as far, <laughs> sort of make your opponent think about how they're going to deal with 
with this unit. I'm with you. I think we're the the troops are where it's at. Yeah. One of my buddies, Zess Williams, uh, he runs a cav heavy army and runs the regiments. I think he even has run the horde before just because probably didn't have enough mo- mo- other models to fill out the army in time for the event. So, and, and I remember him, I think I remember him complaining about how it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a horde of them is a waste of time because uh, they're always hindered. So like, you know, you're lucky to get, get thunder one, but man, for, for those days where you can get them up on the hill, you can get them into a weak side. Oh, we all dream of those times. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen the horde once. And as he told me, the whole point of the horde is they have to throw at least three units at it. And that means he's got three units. He doesn't have to worry about that. He can then, maneuver other things around but i agree yeah troops for chaff or regiments is your your best bet for these yeah i I think the one thing to look out for is just uh uh, andrew you probably just do it way better than i do Uh, i know i've put those guys out in front of other units and just completely block site you got to be really careful i'm thinking about one recent game where like there was a hill right in front of me and i put them on the hill and then shortly afterwards i was made to realize, oh, nothing behind there can see anything. And they got locked up for turns. I've certainly done that before. And you learn from your mistakes, right? So don't do that again. It's good. The list that I was running had two White Hordes and a Soul Reaver infantry, but four chaff in the um, two wraiths, two Rev Cav. So you can actually space them so that, I guess, you know, the the opposing shooting can still see you, but you can your leader point can see out and, and that sort of thing. It just really helps with being able to, um, withdraw an inch and slide over or whatever to get in. So you do have to play smartly with your positioning of your chaff compared to the stuff that uh, you want to get in because because they're so thick, um, they're so tough, they don't always die when you want them to. <laughs> so it's, it's very often that um, your opponent will fluff a roll and good opponents will realize that and put in something that'll do one or two wounds so they don't die but they also lose their thunderous or they in in race they lose their fly and nimble um and so they you kind of get stuck no absolutely now you need to be smart with them i'm not doing that (laughs) soul reaver cavalry uh we've got speed eight melee three Defense five. Uh, they come in troops and regiments. Uh, Ten attacks as a troop. Twenty as a regiment. Uh, nerve is twelve fourteen for the troop. Fifteen seventeen for the regiment. And points they're coming in one fifty five for the troop. Two forty for the regiment. Special rules we've got crush one, lightsleeve two, and thunderous one. These are a lot of fun. You run into that same problem that the infantry have of people have that like, oh, vampires kill them. But that speed eight helps a lot because you can kind of close that distance with any of those shooters. And they definitely are a hammer, especially when you get that first hit. I can't seem to get these guys. They look good. Look at that stat line. That's fantastic. How fantastic are they? Why don't you do it? (laughs) Why why doesn't? (laughs) When I put them on the table, they inevitably they're they're too fast and they're out of support, or they charge in, bounce off, and then 
either die or you know just takes them forever to grind through i cannot pinpoint why i am terrible with these guys but let me know when you were you know like what what am i doing wrong guys one of the things you have to do with them is you don't want them alone. This isn't your like, you know, oh, I'm just going to send them out here and they're going to go handle this flank. You got to have that support. So this is where like we had someone at uh, one of the questions earlier was including vampires in your army. This is a great point to have a vampire lord on cav that runs in that little extra or start throwing those werewolves in like Anna's the werewolf. Those also are really good to just, again, they're good, but it's not a solo unit. You got to have that extra support, but that's where the struggle is because they're fast. We have very few support options for our fast units like that. I just haven't used these guys, so I don't really have anything to say. Any, any, of, the li- any of the living units uh, uh, <laughs> don't do it for me. They are fun. Take the Soul Stone if you can, if you take them, if you take just one regiment. Um, I will say, we haven't mentioned it, but Ambush, Undead is just like absolutely killer at Ambush because we have all these really good regiments. If you play a thousand point Ambush game, if you don't have Soul Reaver Cav, you're playing it wrong. The question earlier was, it seems like you could take an army without them completely and not have any issues, which is true. But I think you also can take them and and not have any issues as well. So if you want to, you, you can. Do you use any chaff in front of these guys? Because that's my problem is that if you've got a, a Soul Reaver regiment and like a dragon or a Lycanus or something to support them, then do you use anything for chaff in front or you just rely on their speed to be getting the first charge. Problem you've got is the stuff that's wide enough to protect its front is the same height. And shambling, so it can't. It's not as fast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Revenant Cav Troop in front. The Death Pack would be good, but... A bit slower. Again, it's a little bit slower, which may not be a bad thing. One thing to think on, though, is using it as cleanup towards the end of a game. Putting them behind your other good stuff and be like, all right, their job is clean up, clean up anything everyone else left behind. I keep on running a list through my head of just uh, vampires and werewolves, a very underworld, the movie uh, type list. To do something like that, I, I, I know, again, my buddy Zess's list, he, he runs the Soul Reaver Cav. I think he just screens the Soul Reaver Cab with the troops of Soul Reavers. The Soul, the troop of Soul Reaver Cav, which, you know. <laughs> That's some expensive chaff. I know. But if, if you're not prepared for it, like, you know, it's like, it's like his his games are super swingy. Like, you know, it's like he can either knock you right off the table or, like, you know, like, you know how to deal with it. What's interesting is I think vampires back in earlier editions where unit strength wasn't a thing, the really expensive units kind of taking a seat back, right? I mean, certainly you can still bring a, a big a hammer unit and if you can kill enough stuff, you can knock their unit strength out and, and you know, you're good, but... You certainly don't see the number of vampires that you used to see. And you certainly don't, like, in the back of the day when we would see three vampire counts mounted on a horse in almost every game because they were, they, they you know, they are almost unkillable and they kill whatever they want. Turn from a game of just just kill to, it's like, oh, we have these other other missions and other objectives to, to, to play. 
Well, and I think you bring up a good point, Chris, that it, it's important that we don't forget kill. A lot of tournaments won't play kill because, you know, they want to play the other more interesting scenarios. But the type of scenarios that you play are going to affect the type of armies that people bring to those events. Same thing with scoring systems will impact that. Mm-hmm. Just the threat of kill is going to keep some of these things viable. It's a tool belt, right? Like, oh, I've got a couple tools in my belt. If we do play kill, I have a vampire or I have some soul reaver cav, even if they're not as efficient for the other scenarios where unit strength is, is, is a bigger deal. So back to Matthew's question, I think, I think Andrew, you hit it on the head. I think you can run an effective vampire list. Yeah. If you're going to take vampires, so you don't take one regiment, you take two. You take something to support it. So if it's two or a hero or you got to have the support with the vampires. Who likes werewolves? Werewolves. Speed nine. Melee three. Defense five. They come in regiments and hordes. Uh, regiments nine attack. Horde 18. Nerve. Uh, regiment is 12, 14. Horde is 15, 17. That I have to make certain I, I double check the notes here. We've got regiment is 150. And the horde is now two thirty-five. Man, that's a twenty-point reduction for the horde and five for the regiment. And I know they did it because people were not taking them because you know even at defense five, fifteen, seventeen nerve, they have the same problem that ogres have, right? Like fifteen is not hard to get to. They can get wavered, and once you get wavered, you're sort of stuck in no man's land. But Andrew, have you played werewolves? No, they've always been too expensive. I always felt like I needed two of them to support each other, like the sort of the issue I was having with Soul Reaver Cav. And you want to put maybe an item on them so they become even more expensive. But when I saw the Clash of King changes and they dropped 20 points, the first message I said to a few gaming groups was, oh my goodness, werewolves have dropped 20 points. You know, welcome welcome to the to the table, boys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is a great change. They, they probably, for a number of reasons they weren't really gelling with the undead lists that were seeing a lot of play and so this is why you can't compare oh werewolves in undead versus lichens in herd or whatever because there are the the interaction with all of the other units in the list well you don't have plus one wild charge yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah i think I don't think they're going to be broken good, but welcome to the table, boys. And historically, the problem has been if a lot of people are taking a lot of shambling stuff, a lot of your stuff is not that fast and you need inspiring because they aren't fearless. To your point, 20 points less for a horde, throw them out on a flank with some friends. Speed nine nimble is never a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I started taking them even at the original 255, because I was dealing with constantly, like every tournament, there is I'd play at least one, if not two games against someone who Scorchwing spammed. Because all they would do is just sit at that 18 and just keep backing up, shooting me until I'm about dead and then charge. And I'd get tabled by the end because I couldn't keep up with it. So once I put those werewolves on, well, uh-oh, if I get an 18... That werewolf can hit me. Toss the Lycanus with that Slayer. Now it's doing even more against those Scorch Wings. So they definitely have a place in the army even before. Now I think more so because of it. 
So hopefully that answered John Paul's and Hong Win Soon's questions about, you know, with the points decrease, are they good? I, I think the answer is we're going to find out because people are going to try it now because 20 points, essentially now you can get a cheap magical artifact for free. A good question from JP, the, the second part of that, what items would you give them? I'm immediately going to plus one to hit and plus one crush, uh, which does bring them to very pricey, but, you know, really makes them hit hard. What about you, Marshall? Like as a werewolf aficionado. The extra crush is nice because, again, they're only crush one. That's kind of their downfall. Hmm. But uh, if you want a cheaper option, because, again, they're not super massive base. I mean, they're a big base. They're, they're what, large infantry? Yeah, 120 by 80. So, I mean, they're decent size. Putting Helm of the Drunken Ram. That's a good call. You're going to get the charge off more often than not. No, I, th- I feel that these werewolves can be used as a more surgical scalpel. You know, it's like send them in there, take out those flyers, take out smaller infantry units that uh, will go down against the crush one. Uh, and just like all the other living units, don't try to outpace the rest of your army. You know, we, we probably all were there when I know I used to throw all my fast units way ahead of my army and then they got cleaned up and then they'd come for the other half of the army. Uh, so a little bit of self-restraint with these guys and tactical application. 100%. Who wants to take us through zombie trolls? I didn't run them when I first started playing Undead, and then I've, I've fallen in love with these guys because they're uh, speed six, melee four, defense five, come in regiment or horde with the nine and 18 attacks, dash 14 or dash 17, 115 or 190 uh, point, price point, which is pretty nice. Uh, crush two, life leech one, shambling. So they're a pretty standard kind of trolly large infantry stat line, but they don't have the troll issue of that large waiver gap because they're fearless. So that's fantastic. We'll get to it later, but the necromancer can give zombies a vicious aura. And I've been running two hordes of zombie trolls with a necromancer with vicious, and they're a nice step down from your really hard-hitting hits-on-threes hammers. Sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you just need something that can take a punch, hit back, and you know grind out over two turns instead of trying to blast through something in one. These guys are just very efficient. They unlock as well. Really like them. Now they're on my table. They're 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 the next couple units that I want to start working into the list. Yeah, the dash seventeen defense five. I think that's a big winning combination. Mm-hmm. One hundred and ninety points is nice. Yeah, I don't feel I need to protect them. You, you know, I feel like I have to get some chaff in front of my whites and soul reavers because they're quite expensive and they really need to do the work. But zombie trolls, you know, like I actually don't mind if people are shooting them because it means they're not shooting something more important. And if they get charged first, then everything's chaff if it needs to be. And at 190 points, I don't mind that. So, Have you been messing with the regiment size at all or just the hordes? No, nah, just the hordes. I, I would like to play around with the regiments, but I just haven't modeled them that way and, <laughs> and haven't got around to to doing so. Yeah, how do they, they stack side by side? Because like when I look at that stat line, it's only a couple speed less than a Revenant, Revenant Cav Troop. How many points is the Revenant Cav Troop? It's the same, 115 as well. Oh, 115? Yeah, I really like the speed on the Rev Cav Troops. I, th- I think yeah. the the extra 
to speed is well it is the reason that i i take the rev cab troops over zombie trolls well chris you ready to take us into whites all right whites this is one of my favorites so speed seven melee three uh defense five uh attacks nine or 18 nerves dash 14 dash 17 and then points 155 and 260 uh height three for special rules they have brutal crush two fly life leech one and shambling i don't know about you guys but these are my lawn mowers like you know it's like these guys do all like the majority of the heavy lifting in my list and every time i bring them i put wine of elvenkind on one and then brew sharpness on the other and that makes it expensive but in in the past three years i've probably done maybe less than 10 front charges I'm never putting these guys into the front. They're always going to the side, especially the wine uh, unit, where that additional mobility just allows me to get tricky, tricky flanks. And those whites hitting anything in the side, even when hindered, you know, it disappears. The the brew of sharpness, anytime I roll those dice and they're like, they're hitting on two plus. It's like, or even if they're in, in, in the woods, like, you know, it's like, oh, they're still hitting on three plus. Oh, oh, it's beautiful. I've run them just as is. To me, I save the points, put it in other things, because just to, again, crush two, fly, melee three, 18 attacks. I'm averaging anywhere, depending on what I'm hitting, uh, seven to nine to even sometimes 12 wounds, depending, again, what I'm attacking. So, you know, these things, they're can openers. They're just... You, you can throw them at the biggest thing. You can throw them at the smallest thing. They'll just wreck everything. Yeah, I, I normally don't make them any more expensive than they already are because they already do such a good job. You know, that that brutal is just tips them over into a really strong hammer. If I don't think that they're going to kill what they're going into, I'll try and get a, a combo charge. So that's that's sort of how I... I get my extra wounds in there. I run them into the front all the time. That might maybe I'm just not as good as you, Chris. But uh, yeah, like I certainly when I can, I'll, I'll try and get a flank with them, and, and things will evaporate when they do. But they're fine. They're fine into the front as long as you've sort of got a a plan for if they don't. As long as it's not disastrous for them to not kill what you're going into, because they're going to get them next round. I love the the trick here of of sitting in a forest and flying out. The fly is the is the unsung hero of whites. Um, that's what makes them just, they're just phenomenal. They're, they're, they're so good. <laughs> Did it surprise you that like nothing was changed in, in Clash of Kings? I was like, oh, thank you. They didn't change. <laughs> you know? I have a lot of thoughts about whites and their space in the bigger picture of undead. And I guess their downside is that they're so strong that the rules committee would have to think for any buffs to undead, okay, is this going to make whites any better? <laughs> and they, you know, you can't. It, it perhaps limits design space because, honestly, I, th- I think these are one of the best units in the game. They, yeah, they're just so they just do a little bit of everything, and you know, they're not. I don't think they're overpowered at all. It, you know, still defense five dash seventeen, so they still die, and mine oh, die yeah. all the time because I put them in and they do a heap of work but eventually they go down most time i'm also a they mostly hit the front of things 
but I find it's because most of the opponents I end up playing are experienced and they just, they will do everything they can not to allow a white to have a flank. Yes. Like they'll, they'll take out, they'll bring their base and be like, oh, okay, yeah. can it fit there? Okay. Can I'm moving this unit here now? Okay. No whites in the flanks and yeah. White in the flank units gone. You know, it's like for, for me, I run just like defense five, almost across the board. As you're hitting my battle line, I'm forcing a stagger. Uh, so like the just gaps are opening up and these guys are my counter punch. So, uh, and I, and I try to get to your back as quick as possible because then they're not getting counter counter punched, et cetera. You certainly have to look after them. That's why I've spoken so much about the chaff that I put in front of them and all the chaffs in the world is great, but if you then make a silly charge with them and they bounce and get deleted next turn, then you're about to lose the game because they're so pivotal and so expensive. Great units. Well, now it's time to chat a little bit about War Engines. They have the Balefarter Catapult. And I will say, if, if, if you want a good catapult in the game, this is probably one of the better ones. Yeah. I know in the past, when we had the Ignored Cover Special Rule, uh, now it's uh, Ignored Obscured, which is still the better of the two versions, which is you ignore intervening terrain in, in units. But still, 95 points for two attacks on fives. It is D3 plus one with piercing two. But are you guys running these things? Not really, but I've used them a couple of times. They're sort of fun if you want a little bit of range. I, I like the, the models and uh, you either take two or none, uh, I think, um, to make sure that, you know, on average you, you do hit once or twice a turn. Americans would say you take th- zero or three. Oh, really? Australians wow. have restraint, so that's, <laughs> yeah, it goes yeah. with two. Okay. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no, that's totally me. Like when, whenever I used to take them, like, you know, it's like it was either none or three. I like them a lot still. I've just been cycling them up to try try new things. So nothing, nothing against them. I like them a lot. I like the cheesy thing of like, you know, putting them right behind the woods and then surging them in. Oh, yeah. Then like, you know, it's like uh, get nice shots out of there. So that's something you can do. I think they're solid. Their special rule makes them worth it. Mm. If we didn't have that, I would say never take them. We've got skeleton archers as our, you know, extra shooting if we want, but they're not great. And vampires, for some reason, are allergic to wood, so they can't use bows for some reason. <laughs> this is our, our kind of our only real option for the range. But yeah, you either take the max number or just they forget ranged and move on. And we should mention Unholy Flames is a special rule. Whenever this unit rolls the damage with the Balefire attack, it could re-roll D3 of the dice that failed the damage. It's like super vicious. It's way better than vicious. <laughs> Real talk. I mean, this is probably the best catapult unit in the game. Yeah. If this was in Abyssal Dwarves or Goblins or something, people would be very upset. <laughs> but because it's in Undead and, and it doesn't sort of have any much else to support the shooting, it's it's fine. You. Yeah, take them if you want them. If it was piercing three, I more people would take. Uh, true. Oh, absolutely. The unholy flames. I think. I think that's a sleeper. The rule for it. You know, it's like they're they're doing a lot of work. And man, if you're bringing three, some of those turns. Uh, usually for me, it's like when it's completely unnecessary. But like you know, it's like you hit five times. You know, it's beautiful. It's uh, you destroy stuff. Maybe the reason why you undead players in Australia don't take these things is because. You already are so conscious of the fact that you're bringing this nasty surge and you're going to give people a bad game. You don't want to double down on that. Like, I'm going to shoot you and I'm going to surge you? That's just that's just filth layered on filth. Yeah. 
did we really cover the Gorblight? Are you guys bringing him? Like, I, I want to like him. Like, I just haven't figured out how to use him well. Usually, I, I, I put him out there too too far ahead, or I try to get him into a side, he lackluster charge, and then he gets eaten. Have you guys had any uh, good experience? Gorblight, I would, the, the times I've had good experience with it is, again, not putting it out. Like, if this shouldn't, I wouldn't say you shouldn't ever charge in the front. It should rarely charge in the front. This shouldn't be your first unit in. It should always be with the second unit. Again, another hard hitter. Or maybe if you're hitting, if you're using like zombies and you're hitting another unit that's, you know, weaker, not super strong, maybe throw it in. The real strength is that cloak of death, D- you know, damage here. Hey, everyone, oh, don't forget to put the damage on. That happens all the time. That to me is it's where it's good. And again, clean up at the end of the game, turning, you know, moving it, you hit your surgers and hit something that they weren't expecting. And that 50 ml base, like, you know, it's like I feel like it can get into a lot more. It's like the, a baby air elemental, you know, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. you wanted to get into hard to reach crevices. Yeah, I just haven't been able to do it well. Yeah, you want him ticking his cloak of death as often as you can. So I agree completely there that you don't want him going in the front. You want to hold him back and once once your line's engaged, then he can cloak of death everything, potentially get a surge into a flank or just a charge into a flank. He's a zombie, so works nicely with the Vicious Aura from a Necromancer. So a couple of zombie troll hordes and a Gorblight and a Necro with Vicious is a really nice little battle group that can sit and pretty tough, going to grind out, you know, grind pretty well. It not the strongest option and you know like a, a dedicated uh, battle group from your opponent will will kill it but certainly it's just a nice neat neat little block that uh, is pr- pretty strong all that being said I, yeah I, do, I don't ever seem to get good results out of the gorblight i sometimes laugh that anytime i've set up that perfect flank charge is a prime opportunity to roll a one on his d6 extra attacks and he only gets uh, seven up to 14 instead of you know 12 up to Mm -hmm. 24 but next time we'll get him that's right that's right (laughs) yeah well let's take a quick commercial break on their side we're going to get into the heroes and there is a lot of heroes in this army we'll be right back my name is Stephen devonish i'm the 2023 australian master and you're listening to counter charge so we're getting into the hero section. Let's start with the Undead Army Center Bear. That's a section of the Clash of Kings book that has, there are so many great new standards for various armies in Clash of Kings. And the Undead Army Center Bear is no exception. The big thing I want to highlight are the changes. You know, his defense went from four to five plus, and his points went from 50 to 55, but he now has the Aura Wild Charge D3 Skeleton only and very inspiring special rules. Pretty awesome, and you can obviously still, for 25 points, put him on a horse. He's still dash 11. I know skeleton keyword is very specific. It's that's skeletons and skeleton spearmen. It includes revenants now. You normally want to move up, and you're going to surge in, but now you have some choices. I like, in, in general, this move of trying to make units that you just never see. Have you guys ever seen any standard bearer in any army? Nope. Every game I play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, crazy person. Conditional expiring going away eliminated the need for a standard bear. Now the fact that they've given all these guys something new to do, an aura of some sort, I think we're going to see him again. I, I think that's a fantastic ad, and and I, I know it certainly has gotten me thinking about, like, how, how can I 
add in this standard bearer uh, and what kind of work can you do? I've always taken one because my design philosophy is like uh, my heroes. I try to get a little bit cheaper at times. I want Inspire. I want Surge. So this is a great way. You toss that uh, the, the tome on it. Now you have Surge 5. You have Inspire. So it's even better now because now I'm very inspiring with and add that Surge item. So he's, again, Standard Bearer has been great for the undead just because you have that Surge item for 20 points. Originally, it made him 70. Now it's 75, but I'll take the extra wild charge with it. The very inspiring just adds so much <laughs> I, I i love very inspiring agree with the standard bearer that you're taking marshall except that do, do you also take a necro with inspiring talisman because i feel like that's just so i only i always would take an inspire an inspiring necromancer if i wanted a second essentially the same model but slightly different i would take a standard bearer with the tome of darkness but i only ever would take one now I'm probably taking the standard bearer with the Tome of Darkness for that very inspiring, uh, even if you don't really use the wild charge. But if you do, you know, Revenant King on, on Burrowing Worm, Undead Great Flying Worm, all of a sudden your speed 10 flyers got wild charge. Horde of Revcav. <laughs> Maybe it's a bit of a, you know meme sort of <laughs> thing but there's there's definitely going to be a few of those type of lists more good choices like you know i, I think we all have taken necromancers with the inspiring mm-hmm. item right like you know it's like, it's like and we've like uh, me and andrew just like never even looked at the standard bearer but but now it's like hey this is this is a completely fair option yeah even even in the list that i normally run which only has the two revcav troops that would be affected by the wild charge it's still probably worth it because all of a sudden it's 17 to 9 well you, if you put them on a horde yeah keep up with those rev cat and then and then being able to surge them like you know it's like a fast mobile surge as well giving them that some good thinking to be done with this with this yeah. guy which i think is the perfect place for a for a change right you don't want it to be auto include you don't want it to be oh well that's crap let's not you know wild charge in general makes people think how much of a gamble do you want to go? It's going to be interesting to see the impact of this one. Obviously, this might not be the best standard of all the ones. I mean, there's some there's some other really great ones in other armies, but you know, for your list, I think there's some options there. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that Strider infantry that some get. <laughs> Mummies in the EOD list with Strider. I reckon I could find a place for that. <laughs> I wish we got Strider because that would be perfect for Undead. But if you took any Revenant Cav, it would be an auto-include. Hongman Soon, he, he had one question. Is Wild Charge D3 banner good? I th- I, yeah, I think j- everything that we've said, like, you know, just opens up a lot of options. Yep. All right, so Ghoul Ghast. This one's actually kind of fun. I think a lot of people have slept on this one. So, cool gassed. Speed 6, melee 3, defense 4, 6 attacks, 12-14 nerve at 95 points. It's crushing strength 1, individual, inspire, life leech 2, and wild charge D3. It has the option to take aura, thunderous charge, cannibal only, which just affects... Uh, the ghouls, and that's for 20 points. This, again, if you're taking ghouls, 
you should probably take this with that extra thunderous because again it's got a decent amount of attacks six at hitting on threes crush one as a hero that's not bad it, it definitely you can take out some wizards with that i think you sort of hit it on the head if you're taking ghouls you should take this guy and give him the aura I want to like him, but I, he never seems to make it in the list. I, I think maybe I, I either go for the cheap and cheerful, like we've talked about with the Necro and a bit of inspiring and, you know, it does a very basic job, or you start, to, you know, some of these heroes that we're going to get to where they get quite expensive, but they're really good. Uh, and I I just tend to not find a spot for, a, for something in the middle. So I've not actually really taken the ghoul gas before it's really good if if you put like uh the the duelist item on it now all of a sudden against those heroes six attacks now 12 so it it does have a a spot it's just one that you have to adjust for because now oh well now it's a it's your assassin it's gonna hunt down your heroes and kill it but it's a cheaper than our other potential assassin characters we'll, that we'll get to. Yeah, it's that hard middle ground area. I agree. Have you guys ever run them? Marshall, did you want to run one this week? Uh, no. Uh, the only time I've run them so far is I've run it once in a ambush game, and I ran it when I did the test with the massive ghoul army. Again, worked great in the ghoul army. Charged down, smashed into... Uh, one of the units. I can't remember. It was, I think it was a sorcerer because it was against halflings. Again, it functioned great. Rest of the army, again, lots of ghouls. Nah, one or two units of ghouls probably is the best way to go if you're using them. You got to have this with it, I think, if you're running those ghoul units. Who wants to take us to the Revenant King? Speed 5, melee 3, defense 5. Uh, has three attacks, dash 14, 80 points. So he's crush 1. Individual, Inspiring, and Life Leech. Uh, you could put him on a horse for 25 points or give him Surge. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, it's like, this is, there's a few units like this, right? Like, you you look at it and like, no, not today. I see him in, in two ways. You either give him Surge and he becomes a more durable, inspiring Surge caster because like we were talking about at the start of the show you typically you only want to be surging a, an inch or two if you've if you've positioned your, your units correctly and at the and if he's on foot then he can he can sort of chaff up in a pinch but it's not really his role if you chuck him on a horse then he's essentially a much more maneuverable rev cav troop which is Useful in some ways and, and less useful in, in others. So I've never run him, but he always makes it into the start of lists and then gets taken out. He's so close and I, I don't know why I haven't run him. <laughs> so he's not mighty is a huge issue yes. with that. Because he's not really stopping anything except flyers that get into your backfield. That's one good reason to take him. And again, he can, you know, smash into a uh, wizard if he needs to. And oh, no spells this turn. Again, he's one of those. He's got his points, but he's not really there to affect your unit strength units. He's going to, you know, stop certain events from happening. 
and again, add Surge, and now he's a Surger. Well, let's get into the Cursed Pharaoh. And to start us off, Charles asks, why is the Cursed Pharaoh 1416 and not Dash 16, like he is in the EOD list? Seems inconsistent to have a keyword mummy with a wavering nerve value going from regular mummy to hero mummy. Guy's uh, 155 points. He's a mummy on foot, right? Uh, He's got regeneration five, just like the regular mummies. Crushing two. He is mighty, uh, but he comes with surge five. So if you you know you're looking at comparing him to a revenant king, obviously the revenant king is going to be ninety uh, versus 155. This guy's got mighty and is a little more resilient. But I mean, are either of you guys taking the mummy? Oh, I take this guy all the time with the wings, with the wings of the honey base, <laughs> because so he's de- he's defense six base. Uh, so if you take the wings of the honey maze, he drops down to defense five, which is still plenty good with 14, 16 and regen five. Charles makes a good point. I can only imagine the reason he's not dash 16 is for balance reasons because it thematically would make sense for him to be fearless, but he, he would be very strong. I'm going to counter that lore wise. Most likely he is not fearless because he's probably intelligent. And he doesn't want to die. That's one thing about undead is if they've got some free will, they definitely do not want to die. So I'm assuming a cursed pharaoh probably has that ability to be like, hey, yeah, um, I could end up being gone. So I I think that's probably why. But yeah, balance, I think, is the true one. We'll buy it. Yeah, the number of times my pharaoh's been wavered, and um, often often that doesn't matter too much because he regens. But sometimes, yeah, that waver is unfortunate because he can't go and do what he was supposed to do. But th- this is one of those heroes that I was talking about before that I pay a lot of points for and expect and often get a lot out of with the wings of the honey maze. He's now speed ten flying and just gets in the way or stops shooting or turns off a particular caster. Five attacks on threes with crush two is definitely going to get that wound. Well, not definitely, but more than likely going to get that wound that you need to to do that. He is very good. With the wings, people might run him on foot, but he just seems to a bit slow and expensive for that. It's interesting juxtaposition to compare him, the, the Cursed Pharaoh, to the Ammonite Pharaoh in the EOD list. That other one is is five points more, but it has three extra surge and it's just got a lot of other stuff. And I, and I'm sure it's a synergy thing, right? That, that, that list needs those things. Whereas you guys have a lot of other options that are effective. You know, we said this before, you know, we're not sure why mummies are in the list to begin with from an undead fluff perspective. Maybe that's something that happens down the road. Maybe mummies and their characters don't, don't end up in the list long-term. Do you guys think that the undead army is a little bit too broad? that there's too many choices holding back some of the, the evolution of, of the, the gameplay. Uh, would we actually benefit from taking some of those units out? I know that can get a lot of pushback too, because I already bought all my models. I don't want to not use all these mummies that I made, but we can save that for later. Well, let's get into the vampire Lord. We used to see them on a horse, three of them. They wreaked havoc at the first UK masters back when there was no union strength. And you just wanted to get you, you just wanted points in the dominant circle. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. So they 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 were amazing. Obviously, you don't see them as much now because unit strength has played such a big impact on the game, and it's hard to justify 
200 points <laughs> tied up in something that's not unit strength with only a seven attacks. Uh, we'll get to Lady, Lady Ionia. That's one that you could potentially still see. Um, but the Vampire Lord, speed six, melee three, defense five, seven attacks, 14, 16 nerve, 165 points, crushing to duelist. This thing will take out pretty much any individual hero. I- individual inspiring, life lich two, mighty. You can put it on a horse for 35. You can give it drain life, lightning bolt, you know, a bunch of a bunch of things. What's interesting, they have the upgrade with Blood Rage, lowers the defense 4+, plus and gain Crushing Strength 3, and Life Leech 3. Like, you put it into something, it's going to get three wounds back a turn. Like, it's it's really hard. Now, obviously, it's not Fearless, so there's always the potential to get wavered because it doesn't have Fury. Uh, but you can't, if you take the Blood Rage, you can't put it on a horse. Matthew Temple asks, with unit strength being so important, how can a 160-point vampire still be effective? It's a good point. I think I, I think for all the reasons that you've already stated, like uh, uh it, yeah, can it do 160 points worth of work? Uh, do, is there is there much synergy with other units in your army? But, but back when Alona, Al- Al- we'll we'll get to her, but like when she had a few few uh, different rules, it's like I would bring her once in a while, but. Uh, this base lord? Hard to justify that amount of points. Which is the theme for all the players. Yeah, he's a bit of a hard sell. He's probably not your top tier pick, but can certainly be effective. And the reason that I say that is because if you can get one of your hammers plus a vampire lord into something, even in the front, it's probably going to kill it unless it's very durable. And that is super important. If if you if you absolutely can't bounce off something because it's going to uh, stuff up your whole game plan, then a Vampire Lord is a great blender. You don't want in the game units that can one round another equivalent unit by themselves. I feel like that's unhealthy for the game. But if you... It's, it's not bad to have a vampire lord plus that white horde that can very easily take out an opposing equivalent unit. That's where the vampire lord comes in because he's he can get wherever you need to, particularly if you put him on a horse, which I wouldn't ever do. 35 points is, is too much for me. I want to have a compact battle line that, you know, hopefully I can I can charge in with both units there maybe i'll jump on to the next question from jp who's uh, asked what's the favorite way to kit out a vampire favorite versus effective my favorite way <laughs> is to pop give him the blood rage upgrade so uh means he can't take a horse but like i said i don't i don't care about that so you give him blood rage drops him to defense four but then you give him the gnome glass shield so he's defense six until he takes a wound and then you give him host shadow beast so you um when you're charging in you can potentially have uh, you know 10 three plus crushing three attacks um if if you manage to get host shadow beast off and he's a he's a dragon at that he does he does cost <laughs> quite a number of points when you go that high and and probably the min maxer amongst us will say well (laughs) you know there's probably better uses (laughs) what's the efficient build Uh, i think the efficient build is is no vampire lord (laughs) so let's go with favorite (laughs) i have a love hate with the vampire lord because thematically like it's awesome it's a vampire lord but when i look at other armies which i know like 
the King's War community split on comparing units in different armies. I look at the Vampire Lord and I see other armies where I'm like, wow, they're, you know, seven attacks. They're very similar. They're cheaper. Or I do a lot of comparisons with goblins. And when a hundred point goblin hero, well, again, legendary, living legend hero is cheaper, but can do more damage than a vampire lord. I go, now, wait a minute. I do think there's some possibility to change vampires. You know, there's some room the, the, the RCs could make some adjustments, maybe. Uh, so that way they can, you know, make it more viable. Because, yeah, Just I Just remember, a lot of us have nightmares and repressed memories about when they used to be Defense 6. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If they were Defense 6 uh, at the points they're at now, absolutely, I would be taking them. But, yeah, I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, they're all right. But, again, they're going to kill any individual they hit. But I have other things that can do what they can do. I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, if we were to bump up their defense again, like you would see them on the table, are they contributing that much more? Those are the kind of situations that I like where, where, again, it's giving you more choice. But you're thinking about starting Undead. You have an awesome vampire model that you want to use. Start with that. The the Vampire Lord? Can you imagine playing Ambush? Oh, absolutely. It would eviscerate. It, it probably has a place. It's just maybe not in bigger games of Kings of yeah. War. I don't think they're bad. They're not optimal, but... If you take a vampire lord and you're not so severely handicapped that you're not going to lose to someone that you're better than. No, no, no. You're, it's going to do some work. It'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is definitely a fun include. Like, you know, you put them in that blood rage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into the spellcasters. All right. So, Necromancer, again, big change. We are at speed five, melee five, defense four. None of that really matters. One attack, 10, 12, nerve, 30 points. And they removed all the, the automatic spells. So now he surge is 20 points. Uh, let's see. Let me go through it here. Surge is 20 points. Heal is 20 points. Bane chance, 20 points. Drain life, 20 points. Weakness, 15. And they can be mounted, though they don't have a figure for it yet, Mantic. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can get Aura Vicious Melee Zombie only for 20 points. And for some reason, they keep forgetting to put Inspiring in there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Just because two books have Inspiring Necromancers. Come on, Mantic. Yeah, yeah. Get with the game. Absolutely. Big change here of taking Surge out means that the Living Undead archetype is is probably a bit more viable if you want to take something nothing that shambles then you don't want necros that have surge you want them to perhaps not have heal but have drain life or weakness or bane chant and you know for 45 points you've got a weakness like i've been talking about giving them the vicious aura for zombies means that that's yeah, they're they're great for that i think that this unit got a little bit a little bit more efficient and like while necromancers themselves might not have had like a huge bump. I think like how it in interacts with the rest of the army, like having that aura with zombies certainly increases there. But then, then Andrew, your point uh, about how it, how you could have a surgeless necromancer. That's just healing. That's maybe on that horse following all the other living units, yep. uh, often them helping them out. Or weakness. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're trying yeah. to protect your zombies, you weakness them. Now they need threes to, you know, potentially so absolutely well you also have the those 
uh, extra spells. You know, we can now take uh, a cheap version of, you know, with Alchemist Curse and all of that. Because that's also something. Veil of Shadows on a Necromancer. If you're dealing with shooting, again, not in Australia, but the rest of the world, (laughs) if you're dealing with the shooting, you almost have to take Veil of Shadows. So if you want a cheap version, well, hey, this this is a good option. Just Necromancer, Veil of Shadows, maybe give it Surge as well, or Heal is what I do. I do Heal and uh, Veil, because now I'm doing something no matter what with it. John Paul does ask some, a question around, you know, this notion of the, the, the standard bearer changes. How does that impact the Necromancer? I know we kind of touched on it with the new standard bearer, very inspiring. Does this change the typical loadout for a Necromancer? You guys got any more thoughts? I know we touched on a little bit on it when we were talking about the standard bearer, but is there anything else you just want to talk about? Necro with weakness two is pretty good for 45 points but the problem with weakness two is that if you're positioning and relying on weakness two going off you're a little bit it's a little bit dicey and that uncertainty can be a real problem and then if it doesn't go off you you know you almost have to have the conjuring staff conjurer staff and still only what's that then 55 points for essentially weakness three you only need one hit for it to <laughs> to work and all of a sudden you've just got that better flexibility is there something with the uh the periscope to be able to keep the the necros behind point yeah i, I want to think that that's going to work well but then the inspiring talisman shows up on my list every time that's right and it probably will continue to <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah true true mm. Well, let's move into the Lich King. I run two of these with all of my lists, uh, which is probably not going to be a, the, the usual thing. Speed 7, melee 5, defense 5, a whole one attack. Uh, dash 14. The old price used to be 155 points, but let me get through the rest of the options, and I'll hit the Clash Kings uh, revisions. Uh, fly, individual, inspiring, regen, all the spells. Surge 10, Bane Chant, Drain Life, Heal. Icy Breath, Lightning Bolt, Blizzard. With Clash of Kings, it's been amended to 80 points, removing the Regen and Fly special rules, remove the Surge 10, of course, because now uh, spells are a la carte, and add the following options. Surge 10 for 40 points, and remove the Replace Surge 10 with Heal 6. I'm going to really miss the the removal of Fly, uh, because w- if they if he gets in trouble, I like to just like Bolt. 14 inches out of there. And with fly, you can just do do whatever you want. Uh, the loss of regen, you know, the, the occasional times that uh, he gets wounded, you know, it's nice. It's gimmicky. Like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to miss it. I'll take the a little bit less points. Uh, but the way I, I run them, so I have two Lich Kings. Both have Surge and both have Heal. One of them has the Staff for a reroll, and the other one has the Fireheart. And I th- I'm getting a sense, Andrew, you and I play different undead because, like, you know, it's like I – my surge distance is, like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm usually doing distances around, like, you know, it's like five to seven inches uh, to, to get corners, to get rears, stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah, that's that's how I usually run them. I, I like the change because it makes it a little bit cheaper. Yeah, we'll see how that lack of fly kind of bites me in the butt. Yeah, I mean, the fly lets you jump over something, right? I mean, the reality is if you're going to cast a spell, you're only moving seven anyways. And the regeneration, while on paper might seem nice, you're not paying for it anymore. I yeah. mean, your defense five dash fourteen, you're you're pretty resilient anyways, even without the regen. So yeah. I think this is just all good because what it does is it just reduces the thing down even further, and now you can build up the the Lich King that you that you want. Exactly. 
Exactly. Uh, Justin Burke has a question. How many Surge, how many Surge casters are too many? I know, Justin. That's a terrible question, Justin. More Surge, the better. Nah, nah. It, it, it all depends on what kind of uh, army you're running, right? Like, you know, it's like, I'm playing all undead, undead. Uh, I need... I, I need and want all those surges that I can uh, to get in all those all those sides. You're 100% right that I reckon my average, the average surge that I'm looking for when I play is about 1.1 in- inches on average because I'm always trying to get to, all right, I'm exactly one inch away, so I just need the one to, to get yeah. into you. And, you know, sometimes it'll be a little bit more. But so for me, how much surge is... I don't know, four or five per caster is, yeah. is is fine. There is no reason that you would ever need ten except for the one time that I failed to get a single <laughs> a single four plus on my ten dice. But you know, obnoxious events like that aside, it's more how many surge casters and I never took the Lich King before because 155 points is double that for me, you know? Like yeah, that's that was so that was too much for me. Looking at it now though, eighty points is pretty good i think this is the one that i if i'm looking for a special spell i go with a lich king if i want a big drain life or blizzard or i don't think i would necessarily take him for surge 10 because it doesn't suit my play style but speed seven boots of levitation alchemist curse if i were to run it that's probably what i'm gonna do because even though yeah and losing fly i think probably had the boots of levitation in mind when they, <laughs> when they yeah but when you take out regen and fly you also take out the points that are associated with that so um i'm all for that he's half price now yeah yeah to me that's the huge part is that that cost down losing fly is not fun the regen is whatever because again you don't want this in combat anyways but the ability to pick and choose at that cheaper price is the huge part because uh, my problem with him in the past was 155. You're either got surge or heal. Now, you know, you, you got options. And uh, that surge 10, again, it depends on if you're which style you're going with. Because, again, I'm more of that closer, you know, I want the one or two inch away. But late game, there's been a few times where I'm like, I can win this if I could get those six inches. And if I got a necromancer and a lich king close enough like that's that's a serious possibility now two scenarios that like you know the the the, these lich kings really pay off for me one because i got heal six on both of them uh with the defense six a lot of regen in the list and a heal 12 I actually don't have much trouble as long as there's like a good amount of terrain northeast here. Like, you know, it's like we, we have a decent amount of terrain on the tables. I don't do bad against elves. Elves end up like, you know, turning to a decent matchup for me. Uh, because like, you know, you'll try to shoot stuff. You'll kill the zombies. And I want you to kill the zombies. Please kill those zombies. But like, you know, it's, as soon as you start hitting the revenants, like, that's like, ah, they're defense five. Maybe I'll give you a mummy. Please shoot those mummies. I would love you to shoot those mummies. Like, you know, it's like, it's like all that heal, especially during the first couple turns where I'm not using the surge, all the wounds disappear uh, and then move up. And then later turns, that's when I'm using the surge to, to get in the corners. The amulet helps me heal a clutch, clutch roll here or there. So that's like, you know, one way that I use the Lich Kings. A second way is that very late game, turn six, turn seven. 
usually the Lich Kings, because of the fly, a lot they can get out of a lot of trouble. So the Lich Kings are always uh, alive for me. But then my hammers, like, you know, it's like I'm really protecting the whites. And it's usually at the end of the game, one other unit, but those four sitting on the board. I got Steve from Death by Dragons uh, last year uh, at Adepticon, where over the course of just like the last two turns, move seven, two double ten surges into the back of something, eat a unit, overrun, do the same thing again. And you have a unit of whites that can span almost the entire table. Or at least, like, you know, it's like a good half of it in a couple turns. They come up pretty valuable for me. I reckon they're the type of unit that because they cost so much, you really need to play a lot of games to get the maximum you can out of them. And it sounds like, Chris, you have and me and Marshall haven't. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was terrible with them for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great. Lost a bunch. <laughs> now, now, finally finally figured out how, how it works and, like, you know, feeds into, like, you know, for me, like, I, I, like, I like being able to take that punch, that high defense, and then creating some options like you know it's like if, if you give me if you give me a blank canvas i was like oh, i don't know what to do but like you come at me a little bit options are created i can respond really well yeah to all my opponents don't give me first turn i i won't know <laughs> I would do oh. well hong Wen soon does ask you know are the lich better now or are they much worse than before they're better chris bellows does ask do you feel that undead has enough access to heal or do we need more i would love more Mike Ross, I was like, no, 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 take, him, take it away, take it away. When I think undead, I'm thinking, you know, the hordes that are moving and the fact that, like, yeah, you're stabbing them, but if you got a necromancer there to go, like, oh, well, they just broke that skeleton. Okay, uh, come back together, please. All right, go back. I always joke with people. Uh, I feel like the, I'm going to say the wrong, Basileans, Basileans, however they pronounce it. Basalia. I feel like they've got it flipped because I'm like, that's the army where I see where, you know, you got the leader says, go charge forward. And everyone goes, OK. And whereas undead should be like, heal everything. You aren't dying. So I feel like they've got it. It's weird because I feel like there's a flip there because I feel like undead should be a, the heal army. That's a great point. Like, I, I wonder for, for like, you know, it's like in the, in the future. Is, is there a similar uh, situation with the, the, the skeleton standard? Should there be like a high heel that's skeleton only? We we kind of have that, but we'll get to that unit. Yeah. <laughs> well, who wants to take us into the light canis? Again, it's another one of those units I run often. Speed nine, melee three, defense five, five attacks, a 13, 15 at 150 points. We've got crushing two, inspiring, life leech one, and nimble. And the options, a uh, howl of the wolf which is a unique option, so you can only take it once. Gain Aura, Slayer, Melee, D3, Beast only. I mean, the Aura, you can make an argument of maybe not, but if you're taking Werewolves, this is that unit to help kind of push them over the edge, get that extra damage in. The Aura is maybe not strange, but it just seems like there's a lot of things that you need to go right. It needs to be within range, be a beast, uh, you know, have have the correct thing for Slayer. And even then, you're only getting D3 extra attacks. You could roll a, a one or a two and only get one. You know, like, it's a lot for 25 points. But if you take... I mean, it affects himself. And so if you're taking a couple of Werewolf Hordes and a Lycanus, it's, it's worth while, but probably anything less, maybe not. The Beast is only on the Death Packs and the Werewolves and the Lycanus. Mm. And the other complaint with the Slayer is... 
most units that are that big to needs, you know, to, that qualify for Slayer have a high defense. When you only have Crush 1, it's not as useful of an option now. But yeah. it, it still helps, right? Every every wound helps. But compared to, like, say, Rampage, if they had option to Rampage, like, you'd be chewing through infantry. So um, it's just one of those, yeah, the Slayer's kind of a weird option. But, you know, again, it's still a good one because it, it helps a lot against other units. It'd be nice if you had the option to do Rampage or Slayer like you do with the, right. the Giants, right? The unit itself is is quite good. It's a speed nine scoring, nimble unit, defense. You know, it's got, it's got good stats. I ran this in my Masters list. It beat out Gorblight and the Vampire Lord. Um, I sort of had that about 150 points left over that I didn't know what to take. And I ended up taking the Lycanus and it's it is a it took a little while to get used to playing it and sort of towards the end of the the five games I was playing it much better than the first few games. Um threw a blade of slashing on it and it just gave my quite slow shambling undead just something else other than the Curse Pharaoh that could reach out and get around the sort of flanks of there's quite a number of dwarf lists and you know like it 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 does give some some really good speed and it's pretty self-sustaining with inspiring um yeah it's a pretty good option only going to get better with the werewolf points drop well hopefully that answered Hongwen soon's question about your views on Lycanus and, and how the Slayer aura plays into it. Let's get, who wants to go into the vampire on dead on undead Pegasus. So speed 10 melee three defense, five, seven attacks, nerve 14, 16, 215 points. Uh, it has crush two, fly, inspiring life leech and nimble. Uh, a few options, drain life four for 20 points, lightning bolt three for 20 surge four for 10. Uh, and it's vampiric. I, I I brought these guys or th- this guy uh, a few times. Like you know, he's a mini dragon trying to get something in your opponent's backfield, cast some threat range. Uh, it's an interesting comparison to the Lycanus, where if I have the points, maybe I'd go with the vampire on undead Pegasus. Uh, if I don't have as many points, maybe Lycanus. This definitely suffers from the same situation as other fast units than me, where where I feel that I throw them out really far and I have to have a little bit more self-restraint to keep them back in position. Especially with the Lycanus, I've found that when I get him out there, he's unsupported and he goes down pretty quick. Uh, at least the vampire can stick around a little longer. Uh, but I, I don't feel like uh, I've been able to get really good play out of him. Marshall, it looked like you were going to jump in. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I've got two of them. I don't often run. I've only run two, like, a couple of times. The common mistake I see, and again, I made, so uh, is throwing it out there too much. Because, it's again, it's a wonderful threat, but you have to be able to back up that threat. Yep. If you're like, oh, I'm going to charge this horde, like... Yeah, you're probably going to die because everything you've got is not in range to protect it. But you're doubling those seven attacks in the side. 
to me, this is that wonderful unit of threat projection, but mid game, you're getting it into position for late game, you know, taking objectives or killing units in the flanks or rears. So again, this is a, you, if you're throwing it into the front of a unit, you're either desperate or you're playing it wrong. So are you throwing the lightning bolt on them? Then, because like you know, if you're getting angles and stuff like that, or sometimes, because I like my units to do things if they can. In this case, you can zap things and you know have a little actual range. Yeah, you certainly don't want to throw these guys in too early. So lightning bolts a good a good shout for them to as they're flying around and nimbly positioning themselves. They they do chip a few wounds away at whatever. I've I tried running one of them and it didn't go particularly well so i tried running two of them and they work much better when you can have either one on each flank or or double up on a flank to really focus there i learned the same lessons you guys did about don't throw them in too quick and don't throw them in the front because yep they, they die very quickly in the end how i what i settled on was that they probably are a little too expensive for my tastes and that I didn't want to take two because that's so many points. One was not getting its points back really. And the evolution of that turned into the Lycanus that we just talked about that I, I quite like. So for me, that's that's where I ended on these guys. But if you have a sweet vampire on Undead Pegasus model, they're still really good. You can probably someone who plays them better than me will disagree completely with everything I've just said and please write in the comment responses this is how you play them and i'll i'll be taking notes again if you got support for it they, they can be really really good and again using them to get those flanks that's where they're good it's yeah it's just again we can fall into that trap beginner's trap of throw it in by itself and now it's dead now it's 215 wasted points no it's it has an interesting place on this continuum of the lycanus then the vampire undead Pegasus and, and what we're going to get into next, uh, the revenant on the undead great burying worm and and the flying worm after that. Oh, and then, of course, the vampire. So when, when I think of the battlefield role of a quick, mobile, agile unit, we're spoiled for choices. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to think in like the past two years, which ones have I gone with? I bounce between this Pegasus. I, I have wanted to include the burrowing worm. Just, just to give it a shot. I just painted the model. Got to use it. Yeah, the only one that I haven't ever really used is the Undead Great Burrowing Worm. So maybe we'll we'll segue on into that. Burrowing Worm is a Titan hero, so bigger base. Uh, speed 7, melee 4, defense 5, uh, 12 attacks, dash 18 nerve, and 200 points. It's got Brutal, Crush 3, Life Leech 1, Strider, and you can give it a ranged attack, which is 12 inches, 4 plus, steady aim uh, for 15 points. The change in Clash of Kings, which is consistent with uh, a lot of the Titans, is that it is now unit strength 2 in up from 1. So that could be enough for me to start considering these. I would... Something like this, I would like to see inspiring on it. So it probably comes in at 220 with the inspiring talisman. <laughs> it's got the keyword for a bit of extra wild charge from the standard bearer if we want. But other than that, it's, you know, defense 5-18 is 
pretty it's a solid anvil how about you guys i've i've never i've always thought about it and never run it it's one important thing i think it's to note for for players especially once you get into like tournament building lists and such we don't have any actual titans like just regular titans all of our titans are heroes which does affect the unlocks a little bit but it does mean we get to put items on our titans which other armies don't have that option. Uh, with this one, yeah, if you're taking Inspiring Talisman, it is really nice on it. But Melee 4, sometimes you put that sharpness on it and you make this one of your kind of uh, dual charge uh, hammers. Like, because it's a mean unit and it's a skeleton keyword. That means that uh, that new aura, yep. D3 Wild Charge, can make it kind of mean. And it's pretty mobile. I bet it could keep up. Like, I, I could see this in a fast cav build uh, because it's living. It doesn't have, uh, it's not surgeable. Uh, yeah, how about that sure. breath weapon? Like, you know, it's like, I th- like for, for me, it's like, I like it, but having never played it. <laughs> I think it's just a little too short range, really. Um, by the time you're within 12, you're, you may, you'll probably get one turn of shooting with it but that's but you're giving up the charge you can't shoot it and then surge in yeah it's good though for being a positioning if you want to have that because you can then move forward do the pivot do your free turn you know seven inches forward turn see a flank for next turn but shoot something as well so i just I don't personally think it's that useful. Luckily, it's only 15 points. Because if it was any more, I would say never use it. Yeah. But it's super situational. You can also shoot over stuff. That's the other thing you could potentially do. Because height six, you're a giant, essentially. That is an option. Again, this is a fun unit. I've played it a couple of times. I do wish, again, this was moved into the Titan slot rather than the hero, personally. Hmm. But I also see why they have it here, because, again, you can put that item on, so there's that versatility you can get with it. No, I feel whenever I'm looking at this unit, like, if I didn't have the fresh model, then I would just keep on looking down the page. Uh, and, like, so it's like the, the increased mobility. You're, you're going to be paying a bunch of points. Do I want to throw another 60 points at it. Uh, now only 55 more to get flying. Like, you know, the, the, that's why I think makes uh, some of these choices uh, a little bit easier just to go down to the, onto Great Flying Worm. So the Revenant King on the Undead Great Flying Worm, Hero Titan, Speed 10, Melee 4, Defense 5, Unit Strength 2, Attacks 10, Dash 18, and the new points, 255. We have Crush Strength 3, Fly Inspiring, Life Leech 1, Nimble. And we can gain that Plague Breath uh, or Surge. Uh, Draconic, Revenant Skeleton. So it's going to be a little bit of synergy with that Standard Bearer. Uh, that, that, that adds a little bit of interesting something. Uh, th- this is one unit that I do take every once in a while. Uh, if you have a big centerpiece model that uh, you want to bring with your display board that actually does some work, I like them. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I've, I've had some fun thoughts with this because, again, 
that wild charge D3, well, it works on this. So now you've got 21 to 23 potential charge range. But you can make it even scarier by because it's a hero. So we can add the extra speed item. So that way now it's charge naturally would be 22. So 11 speed, charge 22. Now you've got 23, 25. So like, oh, well, height six, you have that hero in your backfield and I can fit my base on it. Now I'm in your backfield killing a character and turning the next turn. Is there anything else in the game that's, that can go up to 25? Nope. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Now, again, even just taking two of these with just the wild charge is also scary because, I mean, I don't think anything can get to 23 even, to my knowledge. Well, to my knowledge, I could be wrong. I know there's several armies that have like a wild charge one on various units that you'd be surprised with, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's interesting. I love seeing Andrew's face as the American has the audacity to say, "I'm going to charge 25." <laughs> so Connor undead. <laughs> he's just like he's. I don't know if he's mortified. He looked like he was going to throw up. He was like a he had it on mute, but there was a gagging. <laughs> <laughs> the cogs are whirring. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I play with a regular great guy, but he will find whatever's the most broken thing he can find, and he'll throw it at people. Hi, Jeff Rons. Yeah, hi, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, he will do that. And I, again, it's it's why I've I I guess I've improved so much because constantly get beat by him. But that was one of those things I was thinking. I'm like, okay, think like Jeff. What's something you could do that could be very broken? And this is that unit, like that 23 charge range is just mean. It, you, you're, again, two of them, you're that threat. Now it's a huge point sink is the problem. But that's potentially worth it. No, that's a lot. That's a lot of threat casting. A lot of, uh, uh, I think if it's like zones of inhibition, where like, you know, it's like, can you push back? Uh, your opponent. No, it's uh, interesting options. Definitely the sort of thing that you'd have to play a, a little bit to see if it was good or not. Uh, you know, uh, like because, oh, yeah. <laughs> like you say, a huge investment, like any any double dragon is. Um, this is nice in that it's a a budget dragon. You know, it's two hundred and fifty five points, which is very cheap and cheerful. If you um, if you just want to leave it. Um, doing dragon things. Obviously, um, the hits on fours means it's it's not nearly as reliable as as a, a true dragon. But dash eighteen is again that's that's a great mobile anvil. It's a good option. I I like I like playing either this or a vampire lord on dragon, and they're very very similar. Yeah, so maybe vampire lord on undead dragon. The, the next step up on this <laughs> this ladder that we've been been traversing. Uh, speed 10, melee 3, defense 5. Uh, this is unit strength 2 now as well. 10 attacks. Nerve 17, 19, so it is waverable. Uh, and a small points drop down to 300. Crush 3, fly, inspiring, life leech 2, nimble. Comes with icy breath standard and then has options for heal, lightning bolt, and surge. I think the most pertinent discussion point is one that John Paul's asked about vampire on undead dragon or 
the flying flying worm we just talked about with sharpness because they're very similar. <laughs> if you give the flying worm plus one to hit, almost the same. They do a very similar role. This is a good example of undead having lots of very small differences in very similar units. The waiver isn't a big deal for me. The fact that it's not fearless because it's it's got a you know pretty high nerve to start with. Yeah, so what do you guys think? I've never brought one, mainly because I've landed more on the Revenant King side. Yeah, I don't know why. Like the, the just that forty more points I haven't pulled the trigger on it. I think you said it. It's three hundred points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the same problem that we have in all armies that have dragons, right? Like you're like, well, I could take a dragon, or I could take two really good hammer units and get like an extra three, you know, six units strength. Like our dragon doesn't also have a horde of dracons that can fly around with it and go and smash something, and then they all turn. It's it's a little unsupported, so. Well, should we get into the unique units? I think Charles's comment is Morgoth back to being Morgoth the mandatory. Looking at some of these changes and looking at the stats, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. So Morgoth the faceless. Speed 7, melee 5, defense 5. Attack 1, nerve 14, 16. Amended to 200 points. Changes remove the unholy levitation unique special rule. Add the following unique special rule. Unholy Levitating Archlich. He has Dread, Fly, Individual, Regen, very inspiring. Bane Chant 3, Drain Life 7, Mind Fog 3, Surge 10, uh, and whatever Heretic and Phantasm does. Uh, did I miss anything in there? Once per turn after using a spell, Morgoth the Mandatory may use a different spell against the same or a different target. Yeah, he went, d- went down a sizable, you know, 30 points is is a lot and and now he gets to cast two spells a turn so he's got bane chant drain life mind fog and surge mind fog is you know whatever but bane chant three drain life seven surge ten i reckon we can probably find a use of casting a couple of those a turn i know in my list i'm thinking like going from two lich lich kings i'm gonna go down to one yeah morgoth gets placed in dread is really important here it's essentially an extra wound in in combat if you're if you're not already brutal bane chant to buff up whatever's just charged in and drain life which can be cast into combat will get another wound or two as well as the the heal so you know how i was talking before about you don't want a unit that can just one round uh something and so which i I assume the rules committee try to avoid that now you've got this toolkit that just tips combats in your favor. You know, you're adding in four or five wounds very flexibly. Everything around it cops dread. Bane Chant can go on exactly the unit that you need it to go on. Drain Life can, can you know, get the unit that you want it to. And all of a sudden, you've, you've got that really hard-hitting hammer with Morgoth. Yeah, he's he's back. He's back heard someone say oh morgoth the mandatory why don't you take him i'm like he's 230 points for a hero that has that can move at the double and cast a spell like yeah Yeah. but 200 points cast two spells and move at the double yes it's interesting that he fly and regen just as a little 
little points. They could have taken those away and then no one would have cared. Drop them down even more points. I'm okay with this. That's what we should be doing. Like, I wish he was 180 points now. I agree there that he's probably not mandatory because he still is 200 points that doesn't score. And that's hard to hard to get in any list. But if you're, t- I think if you're taking a Lich King, you're probably taking this guy now. This is the reason that I've never even really considered Lich Kings because I've always just thought, well, I'm just going to upgrade him to Morgoth. It's way better, which might change. Nah, I'm going with Morgoth over Lich King. So <laughs> I won't lie to you guys. <laughs> I like uh, Jose Vega here. What are the best builds around new Morgoth? Is there a viable build around multiple drain life sources? You can run him with werewolves, and he can bane chant, drain life the enemy. You can run him with zombies or skeletons, you know, surge. And I mean, he's very versatile for the undead. He's a multi. He's got a little bit of everything for most situations you'll run into. Yeah, but now you can do necromancers with drain life for fifty points. That's true, and you could run. You could really augment what he's already doing. Exactly. Drain life six inch range does make, uh, say, a necro on foot for only fifty points really hard to use. If you use it well, then insanely efficient. But often you you struggle to. Whereas Morgoth's real benefit is in his versatility. You know, he can be where you need him to be, doing what you need him to be doing. So he just works in. He works in most lists on most tables against most enemies. So let's get into Lady Ionia. She's the next unique special character. Uh, she's a special vampire, uh, speed 7, melee 3, defense 6+. plus. So she's like that old school vampire. 8 attacks, 14, 16 nerve, and 250 points. So she ain't cheap. But she's got crushing 3, duelist, individual, inspiring, life leech 2, mighty, which is all the same as a vampire. The promise of love, eternal, enemy heroes, attacking Lady Ionia, receive minus 1 to hit. Mm. So she comes with uh, enthrall 5. Heal three, lightning bolt three, and surge three. I know she used to be more popular, but again, it comes back to the, the cost. Are you guys considering running her? For for all the same reasons that you won't run a vampire on foot. Like, you know, it's like th- this is a albeit cooler vampire on foot, but it's also more points too. Too many points for me. Interestingly, I think this is our only source of enthrall, which can be super powerful with surge. So it, I'm not, you know, if you enthrall someone out of position and then surge something into them so i'm not particularly upset that she's so pricey because of that interaction but yeah i'm not i guess i i've never taken a never really hasn't even made it into the list to be taken out when i'm optimizing just too many points for no unit strength We'll jump into the next unit. Andrew is the president of the Jarvis fan club. <laughs> so please take, take it away. Yes, my boy Jarvis. <laughs> Speed five, melee five, defense four, uh, nerve 12, 14. Was 140 points, but has got a little haircut down to 120. Jarvis is uh, very inspiring. He has the Ophidian Book of Secrets, which adds six inches to the range of his base uh, of his Bane Chant, Heal, Lightning Bolt, and Surge, and uh, spells, which is he has all of those. And then Noble Undead. Uh, when Jarvis is included in an Undead army, the entire army's alignment changes to good, uh, but no other unique heroes may be included in the army. That's, I guess, largely thematic these days. I don't know if anyone really plays with allies too much, but. I love this guy. This 
Jarvis suits my play style so well where I like to keep compact and uh, push forward. But, you know, with the chaff, I'm often receiving charges. So his very inspiring bubble is is huge for me. It means that I can get away with a Cursed Fairy with wings flying off and a Lycanus uh, running away. And so I've got a... Often it's a Jarvis and a, just a Necro with Inspiring Talisman as the primary inspiring for my line. Uh, and very inspiring is having at least... You can't do it with only two inspiring. You have to have at least one very inspiring. So that's great. The six-inch range comes up more often than you'd think, particularly on you know things like Bane Chant. Just, it's a long, like a long ra- away f- for Bane Chant. And then, yeah, he's just got a lot of spells that you might like. Lightning Bolt. Heal, Bane Chant, Surge, just a really good Necro. He did everything I wanted to him to for 140 points and, yeah, he's cheaper now. So I, th- I have a feeling I could be a little bit unusual in my love for Jarvis though. So what do you guys, do you ever run him? I've run him occasionally. It's a great ne- uh, Necromancer just with extra range. If you don't have any of the other living legends, you might as well go Jarvis. There's a lot of cost efficiency right there. As you're, you've described him, I'm looking at him harder now, especially at 120 points. That's mm-hmm. not bad. That, yeah, it, it, it is a nice middle point between the Necromancer and a Lich King. In my list building, uh, if I don't have enough points for a full Lich King, that battle between Morgoth and this guy now? Yeah, that, that, that's been Jarvis's biggest nerf, I suppose, is that now he has to compete for list space with, with Morgoth. <laughs> is there any kind of ally situation that you've found to be beneficial with this? It's just something I, I don't think I've ever really considered. I think thematically you could do like Fallen Angels, Elohi or something, but I've never done it. I haven't... I don't know about you guys, but tournaments don't allow allies and I don't really want to play allies. So uh, it's purely thematic, him being the good guys now. You guys bring up a good point. I I think the fact that allies are not really part of the game anymore, the fact that he's flipping the alignment of the army really doesn't have a lot of impact except for uh, it doubles events because then that allows your your ally, I'm air quoting there, but your partner to cast spells on you. How I got onto the Jarvis train was that there was a narrative event that was run and typically there's not a, there's never as many good armies as there are evil and so I was like I'm taking undead but I'm gonna play good I'll be Jarvis and and then I was like ooh, <laughs> I liked that that was a <laughs> he's good I'm gonna you know keep keep playing Jarvis and yeah now I'm really on board well we got one more character to talk about Iceblood, another living legend. Speed 5, melee 4, defense 5, one attack. Dash 13, so he is fearless at 120 points. Special rules, individual, inspiring, has the outsider. So whenever you include Zunok, you can't use any other of those unique heroes. It's another one of those Jarvis situations. Necro Fire is another special. Once per turn for each point of damage dealt by Zunok's fireball spell, uh, Zunok may immediately remove one point of previously suffered damage on a single friendly core skeleton unit without the revenant keyword anywhere within 12 inches of himself, regardless of line of sight. Also has Witchfire. 
Xenoc can re-roll all to hit rolls of a natural unmodified one with his fireball spell. Uh, spells are fireball 10, surge 8, veil of shadows 3. He's so situational, though. Everything is so specific on this this dude. Look at the name. Doesn't that sound like some like a character out of World of Warcraft? <laughs> is, isn't he a, 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 a undead lizard man? Yes. He's a salamander. He's on a heavy infantry base, interestingly enough. Yes. <laughs> Made it difficult for me. Yeah. Um, he's got a lot of rules, and it's the Veil of Shadows 3 at the end that you're probably taking him for. And then the other stuff is just a little sprinkling of, of fun on top. So obviously having a Surge 8 caster is never going to go astray. The Fireball with rerolling ones is, is decent. If you, if you want to blast someone with Fireball, I've... I have run him a couple of times trying to get some use out of Necrofire. Fireball takes all the penalties. Yeah, it's... His special of the the healing only works on skeleton infantry. Not revenants, yeah. So No revenants. What you really want to be healing, yeah. (laughs) Two units which we've talked about not being that good, really. Right. Certainly, though, Vale of Shadows 3 is... It's a lot better than Veil of Shadows 2. And the model is amazing. If people should take a look at the model, it's it's a really great resin cast. He'll find his way into really well thought out lists. If you are writing a list and think, the the weakness I have here is is shooting and a, I need Veil of Shadows to stop it, then you might put him in. But unlike probably Morgoth and Jarvis, which could I think could fit in any list, he's, he's a bit more specialized, this guy. Honestly, if you want Veil of Shadows, just take Necromancer, Veil of Shadows, one other spell, and it's still cheaper, and you're getting the same job done. Yeah, you're probably right. I feel like Zunok was added to try to get people to play Skeletons, and it's just kind of like, eh, okay. Not enough. It's not enough, right. Well, let's take a quick commercial break, and on this side, we get to the fun part of the show. We talk about these guys' opinion on the Clash of Kings and how this is going to Pole Vault, undead to the top of the list in 2024. We're right back. At Countercharge, we want to deliver the episodes you want to listen to. So do you have an idea for the show? Send us an email at countercharge15 at gmail.com. That's countercharge15 at gmail.com. Let us deliver what you want. Welcome back to Countercharge, and now we get to the fun part of the show where we're going to hit these guys with tons of questions, and they're going to explain why the army has gotten so good because of these changes in Clash of Kings. Let's start with a question from Hong Wen Soon. He says, from 1 to 10, how would you rate the current changes of the undead army in Clash of Kings 2024? At, at least with my play style. You know, there there's nothing that's really been taken out. Uh, I've got a lot of point reductions, so it's only going to help me. Man, I need to read the other army's rules and see, like, you know, it's like, it's like how how I'm going to adjust. Uh, that that that's my one big weakness, not not knowing what what else is out there on the field. But for me, uh, if five is average, it's, it, the changes don't blow it out of the water. It's not a ten, but like, you know, decent uh, decent changes. Maybe a little something with those skeletons good seven and a half eight i think there's been a few more archetypes opened up for list building 
I, don't, I think our strongest lists probably haven't changed too much. Maybe a couple of aspects have got slightly cheaper and so therefore it, it matters a lot more what everyone else, what changes have happened to other armies as to how we end up in the the uh, ladder. Opening up those other options is is great. I, I love the changes because they've done that and I'm giving them a yeah, seven or eight as well, but not because we've got a whole bunch stronger, but because Undead, which already were really versatile, have got even more versatile in what you can play. So, yeah, I'm I'm pumped for the new changes. I'm going to give it a six, a little bit less, because while they did make some awesome changes, we got some great changes. Luckily, the no nerfs. Luke Schaefer does ask, why do so many people still think Undead are top tier when they haven't been for over two years? He's right. People still do think that they're top tier, and I don't necessarily think they have been. They're still strong, but they're not at the top. Um, nah, I I don't have an answer. Why do people <laughs> think they're top tier? Well, or let me ask you this. Do people actually think they're top tier? I hear it all the time. People are like, oh, you've got so many wonderful tools, at least online. You got so yeah. many wonderful tools, and it's great, and they're the best army, and I'm like... What are you playing? Oh, not undead. Okay, you're no, you're playing all scorch wings, or you're playing, <laughs> no, you're playing the newest, whatever's scariest. Oh, okay. I think a lot of it is that memories from the past with the older players. Because whenever I talk to newer players, they don't think undead as being this tough, super nasty army. They, they'll see whites and be like, I hate those. But, you know, they'll see vampires like, oh, that's a mean unit. Okay. But they're not afraid of it. Whereas the older players are like, oh, my gosh, yeah, kill that, kill that. Oh, I hate the undead. They're so annoying. Well, I think it's because they're playing off of those memories, those experiences they had in the past when undead was the top. Coming into version three of Kings of War, undead were probably a bit too good they had too much drain life a few units were under costed um and yeah i suppose there's probably people who remember that and, and think you guys are still really good but I, I think everyone a lot of other armies have got substantial increases in power level and when they've they've brought them up to undead's level and i think undead's still in a really great spot we're not we're not stronger you know like we're not above it's still good it's really good now is a perfect opportunity to tackle chris's question from before you have an undead army that is super versatile i used to say in like second edition like they were the one army that never needed allies because they had all the tools but you know chris brought up a good point because it's so many options does it water it down so that it feels vanilla and maybe doesn't feel special anymore let me take it from one side of the equation where i think it is interesting where you can have such a diverse army list that within that pool you can make multiple different armies like i have my undead undead and i'm thinking about uh making a whole new army that's all vampires and werewolves so in one sense i don't need to relearn too many rules uh, we'll need to figure out new play styles, but in, in some ways that is interesting. On the other hand, is it also stagnating where there's a big pool of units that just never see the light of day and we can't do too many rules tweaks 
lest we worry about like the butterfly effect. Like, you know, it's like, it's like oh, if I really make the uh, ghoul ghast really strong, is that going to like, you know, accidentally super bump up uh, one of the dragons? Who knows? When it comes to the undead, like we have a lot of wonderful tools. But again, I think tournament, you can't bring your all of your tools. You have you can only fit so much in your little box. We've got the tools. If you want to make an army that can counter ranged, sure. We can counter an army. We just can't bring that to the table. We can't change our army in between games at a tournament. So like at tournament levels, we're going to see the same units over and over and over again. I think that's kind of yeah, we we get kind of get stale. Like you're going to take one or two whites. You're going to take a bunch of zombies, at least two or more regiments. You're going to be taking most likely wraiths or mummies, one or the other, really. And then, you know, you're going to have either you're going to go heavy hero or light hero is how I put it. Like I go light, low points. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of the build right now for tournaments. Like it's always a variation of that. Sometimes you might have a couple of extra, you know, zombie uh, trolls or maybe you include a death pack or some revenant troop uh, as chaff, but it's you're seeing the same lists over and over again. Whereas other armies we're seeing, you know, like, Oh, well, that's all of this. That's all that. That's this. So tournament wise, I feel like, yeah, we're, we're kind of at that weird spot. No, absolutely. I, uh, I feel a lot of the similar way. I also don't want like all my options to be taken away, you know, certainly like, you know, I like having all these tools in the toolbox, but uh, yeah. Are we, are we uh, shooting ourselves in the foot the long run with a little bit more innovation? Mm-hmm. As we were, for example, going through all of the various heroes that were from, you know, medium-sized base to Titan and, and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, they're all very similar. But at the same time, we don't have really that many monsters. We don't have shooting. That's fine. You know, the, the, uh, the army list has a bit of a theme in a way. So the fact that we have so many different types of infantry is is good because otherwise it'd feel like a really short list with not many options because we specifically don't have those other much different options but the i guess downside to that is that some of those fill such a similar role that inevitably you you're going to gravitate towards the most cost effective like points effective mm-hmm. units so we don't see a lot of skeletons because zombies exist and they yeah. pretty much fill the same role. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if it even needs fixing. I guess let me let me throw this at you. Like, you know, it's like, I, I really like the addition of, what's the big monster? The only monster that we have. Gorblight. I loved when that came in and it's like, ooh, there's something new and fresh in the army. And I think to keep people engaged and uh, to generate more interest, uh, like, you know, in, in various armies, you'd like to see new stuff moving in. And I feel that undead is a little bit un- in- inhibited uh, because of that. Because, like, we probably aren't going to see a big non-hero titan. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see any, any other war machines or whatnot. Because, like, it's like, ooh, you're going to give them another awesome war machine with all their other stuff? No way. Let's not do that. So, yeah, yeah. I guess, I'm. of course, I'm not advocating 
Either way, it's an interesting point. Let's, let's uh, Ronnie can, Ronnie can really. Perhaps it gets the keyword treatment where you start to see a lot of buffs to anything with the skeleton keyword. And so all of a sudden, yeah, zombies are way better if you're just taking a little bit of everything. But if you're taking three skeletons and this new hero that they've got and a large infantry skeleton bone giant that they've just come out with and it's giving you all this extra stuff, then skeletons are suddenly way better. I think that's probably the direction that rules are going we're seeing in the you know new releases that there's a lot of that interplay between units and Mm -hmm. undead's probably a great example of that with the the sort of vampire skeleton zombie keywords yeah i wish they would lean into that a little bit more me too because again we're seeing it we're seeing the battle groups right you've got the ghoul gas running with the ghoul to give the thunderous uh you've got the zombie uh vicious it almost feels like that's what they're wanting to do is they, you know, oh, this is your battle group. This is your battle group. And I'm going to go to the lore here since they're writing books about all this now. That's what it is in the books. You've faith aligned. You've got three different necromancers. Each one specialized in a different area. One had zombies, one had skeletons, one had revenants. So to me, you know, I feel like that's what they want to do. They just don't have it yet. Upon further reflection, I actually like this slow evolution like I always said, like the the rules for undead got better. It's probably good that we're not all saying tens. Like you know, it's like it's it's way overpowered now. Yeah. It, it's good that's a slow evolution. And then if you look at like I remember in 40k when formations were first introduced, by pretty much like you know just flooding the market with all these different uh, formations, it just ca- caused so much variability spiking in effectiveness like you know it's like it goes against the ethos of kings of war being a nice tight rules wise game when we're talking about the variability or diversity within a list it's not necessarily meant for the competitive gamer some of that's just for narrative play and you know i think it's a tip of the hat to the folks that don't really go to tournaments they're just playing in their garage they just want to have cool stuff to play with so and so to, to andrew's point we may have these different options but we still may end up funneling from a competitive standpoint to a few of those options but they're still there and they still have viability for other forms of play so yeah <laughs> choice is never a bad thing right and and there's 26 or something armies with enormous variation in each of those lists like there's going to be stuff that's good and there's going to be stuff that's a little less good. But Kings of War is really, really good at the difference between that being not that that different. You know, the, the units we've said aren't, aren't the best. If they're played by someone well, they're going to absolutely destroy the best units played poorly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What do you guys think is the best change in Clash of Kings 2024 for the undead list? It might not be the best but the one that has got me thinking the most definitely is the uh, the skeleton standard bearer because it, it's forcing me to think a little bit more. It's like, oh, what what are cool ways to get some mileage out of this? So what, what, while I'm sure I'm sure in the next list I'm going to write Morgoth will be in there. You know, it's like uh, I'll probably spend more thinking time uh, on that standard bearer. Good answer, I reckon for me. I feel the same way, but my favorite is that Welcome Back Morgoth. I really enjoy playing him. <laughs> you know, I might I might just have to cheat on Jarvis for a little bit to see how, how Morgoth's going. <laughs> for me, it's the werewolf price. Solid. Yeah. Because again, I started including them to counter those range 18, you know, shots. 
well, now, well, I can now take, if I take two of them, that's 40 points saved. So that's, to me, that's huge. Next question for you guys. For 2025, what's the change that they still need to make? They do something cool with ghouls. Bit of rhyming there. (laughs) But yeah, ghouls, I feel, have maybe got a little bit left out. You know, there's only so much room in a book, uh, only so much brain power that can go into the RC, making sure everything is is balanced and well-developed for each Clash of Kings. And yeah, yeah, ghouls could probably use something that zhuzhes them up a little bit. If you gave a similar formation or something along the lines of the Army of Darkness one, it didn't have to be good. Like, you know, it just, it, it could be fun. I didn't play back then. What is that? It's two skeleton warrior hordes, one necromancer, uh, and then each one gets iron resolve. The necromancer is granted the inspiring special rule, increases all of its spells by values by five when targeting friendly, non allied skeleton warrior archers and spearmen. Three dice extra is probably good versus five. To, for balance, but I, I still lost plenty of games. I didn't know what I was doing. Changes for 2025. There's three things I would do. One, change the formation because again, the zombie is cool, but eh. I would add ghosts as a unit. So I, it would be another infantry, but you make them that melee three, maybe defense four, fly seven. You got my thematic thing going. They need to be able to move through blocking terrain. Again, fly. You got to give them fly, but no crushing or anything like that. Nothing else special. It should be your unlocking phantasm unit. So if you want to do all ghosts, you could do an all ghost army. The other thing I would say is, again, looking at the lore, again, I don't know if it was correct or not, but a ghoul matriarch monster, you know, speed five, maybe six, something that... Does another aura for ghouls would be really cool. I think yeah. it might bring the ghouls into play a little bit more. Like, oh, well, there's the matriarch. We better be fighting better or something, you know? So I think that, again, there's a great options, great modeling potential for both, especially the ghosts, because you could use start with other units from the games and then, you know, uh, mold it to be ghostly. For me, I'd like to see him bring back Mortibus. You guys may not remember Mortibus, but he's the stealthy bubble guy. He also had all the rules in terms of all the spells and stuff. And he was expensive at 210 points, but it was a tool belt of an army. You know, and I, I realize Morgoth probably replaces him in a lot of ways, but you know, giving people stealthy yeah. within six inches, it was was pretty good. I mean, I'm speaking obviously of a person that fights most of my uh battles in the shade of the arrows coming down on me. So <laughs> Talk to me generally, what does this army need to be effective competitively? I think you win games by delivering your hammers. Undead have great hammers. And if they get into the right combats, relatively unscathed, you're going to win. If you take a a few little wounds here and there, you're going to life leech them back. And at the end, you, you, you know, you're once you get. If you're in combat turn three or four and, you know, you're not too down too many units then, you're in a great spot. So delivering your hammers and to do that, you need thick chaff because we're not particularly fast. So you need, uh, uh, you know, I've talked about my love for Rev Cavern Wraiths to protect things. Some 
sort of shooting mitigation in be it veil of shadows or or that uh good positioning of of units to to give them cover and that sort of thing and then you want just enough support it's there's a very fine line between too many support pieces not enough meat and you know your hammers just not having the the surge available when you need it to get in the flank and and really rip a unit apart or you need a little bit of bane chant to get them over the line or whatever so and and then probably the last part is just uh, find some speed somewhere in the in the current matter if you if you can't find some speed to get around slow armies or put pressure on shooting armies you're going to have a hard time no i think that's a that that's a great summary like the the, the only thing i i know personally i'm on that line that you're talking about where do i have too many units that are kind of chaffy like do do i need the zombies and the revenants essentially doing the same job uh should i just switch to something else that uh, hits a little harder put in those trolls uh stuff like that so that, that, that that's the the line that i'm trying to explore and for me it's just uh, I, I probably need to get more games in and uh, uh, get those reps in to figure out where that efficiency is. For again, I, I think tournament. That's that's my brain. Yeah, you got to make certain you got the surge. Uh, I always say you should at least have three surge at the least. What you should be running three potential surgers. They don't all have to inspire, but you should have at least three uh, more if you want. If you're trying for the long shots, right, or at least heavier surge if you're doing that. But to me, yeah, the delivering the hammers and positioning them to maximize your damage is the key. Because, as I say, undead against a player of equal skill level, you're you're not gonna just like table them. So you have to deliver things to the objectives just right to get those points. And I will say this is where I think how your tournament run also plays a part in what you need to do to make the army work. Because there's a few times where if attrition plays a large part of your scores, undead could potentially struggle a little bit there. In your guys' usually tournament scores, how are you at the the blackjack where, uh, you know, it's like whenever I at the end of the game, usually my opponent has killed more of my stuff. Like, you know, and, and I rarely ever will even get close to tabling. Uh, and in some lucky cases, like, you know, just with all my heal and all my defense, if I do it right, I'll have most of my battle line, but like, I still don't kill a lot. Um, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that differential? A lot of trading, you know, like I'll, I'll often kill quite a fair chunk of my opponent's army but i will have lost a significant portion of mine to do so so if i win and i haven't been just really lucky it's only going to be you know a 16 5 18 or or whatever and (laughs) you know like my master's results are a month or so ago where i got two draws (laughs) and my, my three wins were were not big either that's yeah that's pretty typical i i also struggle to 
win big and often don't lose big either. In the Midwest, I'm really lucky. Most of the tournaments I go to don't do blackjack. You win, it's 15 points. You lose, it's five. You draw, you both get 10. Uh, And then attrition is all positive. The more you kill, the more points you get. I much prefer that over blackjack because, again, with undead, you're probably not going to kill most of their army. You know, sometimes you're going to win and you may not actually have much of an army left. Or if you were playing Northern Kings where it's not attrition, it's how many points you kill, right? That, that situation doesn't matter how much you lose. It's just what you can take off the table of the other person. Scoring systems really impact army build for sure. In Blackjack, I find I, I almost never win big on scenario. So Blackjack, for those who don't know, has a has positives if you win big on scenario and positives for the differential of attrition. Um, sometimes... I'll get a big attrition differential uh, and, and it works the other way. I might lose a lot, but I very rarely uh, get a lot of the scenario. We'll move away from scoring systems and we'll talk about scenarios. And we'll start with a question from the former U.S. master Keith Conroy, who is a master of scenarios himself. He asks, will the changes to the push scenario uh, and increase in loot token scenarios in general, because now there's one called stockpile, change how you build your list and for those who don't remember push you can only now carry one token per unit usually a common practice would be you'd have a, a loot token carrier and all three go on one but now you have to spread them out so how you think this is going to affect your guys' builds i think that rules change in particular is is a positive one like you know it's like, let's face it like every time i've played push in the last couple of years three tokens go on all mummy unit and i walk that along the side of the board and then let, let's see if uh, I can get that middle one color to draw. That specific one, like, you know, it's like, it, it, it's a change that needs to happen. Uh, just because, like, you know, I, I think we're falling into a rut with that one. Uh, how I'm going to deal with it, I don't know. I have two I have two mummies, one on each right now, and then I'll figure it out, like, figure out where that third one's going to go later. But, uh, uh, yeah, what do you guys think? You can still hold, like, you can p- kill something and pick up the tokens from them. And at the end of the game, you could have like three on one unit or if or you can only ever have one. I think there's going to be a clarification on that. Uh, okay. yeah. I'll definitely have to look into it because often I find I don't have a heap of units with the, to carry a token at the end of the game. I might only have one or two units that could even be carrying those loot tokens, even if they've mowed through the all the opponent's army and picked up all six. If I can only ever hold two, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, might, that might change it more than more than placing at the start of the game, which I haven't. I don't normally put three on one. You Knowing Keith as I do, he's also wondering. You know, you can't surge somebody that has a token, and obviously your army has a lot of surge. You have to spread them out. That that obviously has negative implications Ooh. to your to your list as well, because now you're not surgeable. Probably thinking, yeah, may over time change mine. I've played the new push once uh, at uh, at a tournament. Um, uh, in Ohio, War Kings. Yep, War Kings. We we played all the new new uh, scenario stuff. It definitely was difficult for me, but it boiled down to the same concept of I had just had three units who all had tokens, uh, and it actually was hilarious because by the end of the game, uh, I came close to a draw solely because I had a unit of whites with the token. And there were like four tokens behind it just sitting on the ground. And I was trying to stop him from just taking any of them and getting across the board. So 
it definitely changes the game a little bit because yeah, you, you can't just take that legion of uh, zombies and run it off the side. Cause that's a, that was a good use for uh, a zombie legion. What are your thoughts on scenarios in general? I quite like dominate. I like to, I think we like to bunch up and um, stay compact. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly like to see dominate in the, in the pack um, and invade because I'm, I'm, pushing that direction anyway um i don't like ones where there's the potential for tokens to be sitting in my back line because they have a lot of the times they have to be like left uh because i've got a yeah every, every unit has a has a role that it needs to to play and i can't really just afford to leave anything at the back other than maybe that one zombie regiment that i'm always taking pretty much any scenario where we can clump together right keep keeping a tight formation keep together and doesn't have loot tokens is pretty good for undead those loot tokens depending on how you build is where we can struggle because yeah you can't surge the loot token i think it will change a little bit of some of the builds well i think we might see more of those non-dead undead units but I don't think it'll be that much, though. I think it'll only be one or two. Let's talk about terrain. What do you guys like to see on the table? I like to see a forest or two that can sit some whites in and that they can then fly out of. It, it protects them nicely. Anyone does come in is going to be hindered or you know, a bit of shooting protection. So I like to see that. I'm a little bit blessed in the Northeast. You have a lot of terrain. Yeah, with a lot of terrain. Those unplugged gamers, man. Oh, oh I love them. I love yeah, them. Lots of lots I got their top spot last year, the Renaissance Man at their event. Got to got to plug them. Best tournament. But uh, no, I uh, loved loved to see terrain on the table. Uh, anytime, like I, I roll up, uh, maybe a criticism of the old Adepticons, but like you know, I tell you, you got a little a little tree that like once you fly your whites in it, where it's like where'd that forest go? Like you know, just uh, uh, upgrading that a little bit. It helps the game. Makes. Finding your charge lanes and forcing more choices. All of that, I think, is much more healthy for the game. I absolutely, terrain is a must, uh, I think, with Undead, especially against shooting armies. I I will give an example. I I play against goblins often, and it's shooting goblins because that's what goblins like to do. I was able to finally win. Again, I, I don't often beat my brother, but when I do... It's generally because I'm able to finally outplay him based on certain things. And I was able to be a move away from contesting every objective while hiding behind stuff or being within the Veil of Shadows bubble. So using that train to your advantage is huge, especially hiding behind a hill. Because if you're not taking those height six, you know, worms and dragons, everything's height three. Like we don't have any, or well, uh, Pegasus, that's four, but everything else is height three. So you're hiding normally behind hills, at least in our region. They they run them as height three hills. Hiding, keeping out of firing arcs, uh, especially for a turn or two, is huge for undead. You know, one of the things that new players struggle with sometimes is dealing with surge that first time. So talk to me about what are some tips players could use when they're facing a surge army, what should they be? What should they not do? 
Well, a couple things. Even at tournaments, you know, it's like I I try to make sure my opponents understand the surge mechanic. Like, you know, it's like I don't want to win because of a gotcha moment. Uh, and if I see something, especially with like, you know, it's like some tricky lanes that I'm trying to set up. If, if you put something obviously out there, I'm going to help you out a little bit. It's okay. Uh, but that said, like, you know, it's like you, if you're maintaining a nice tight formation, watch out for them flanks. Cause, uh, the minute that you're a couple millimeters off or I'm going to disrupt your battle line, uh, because you got pops up my units and you're going to have to reposition. Those are the openings that I'm looking for. Yeah. It's a hard one to coach against other than you just kind of got to get caught out a couple of times and hopefully you get caught out in your garage and not you know in in a tournament even as a as an undead playing surging kind of guy (laughs) it took me a couple of times to of being surged to understand oh that's that's how it works against you yeah i guess understanding or little nuances and that if you you know just because you're you start in the in the front arc doesn't think about what they can move and then pivot and then be surged um it's it's really hard and it's my least favorite part of playing undead is that if you are playing at someone who thinks they've done everything right and then you're like oh here's this kind of awkward movement that i'm doing and i'm it sort of feels a bit gamey at times and now i win um Oh, it can definitely leave a bad taste in your mouth. Like what what I try to do is like I, I have, of course, blank bases and stuff like that. I try to use that as much as I can uh, and get get the visual buy-in where it's like, it's like here's where my unit is because I haven't moved that, but here's where the base is going to be. Yeah. And to reduce the, the uh, that, that, that bad gamey feeling, like, you know, it's just – get the buy-in and normally everybody looks down and it's like, yep, in the side again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you're playing at someone who you don't know, might be their first time, just say, you know, try and get a vibe of like, are you really, like, are you new to this game? Do you know what Surge is? Um, And then if they don't, maybe try and give them a quick primer on it. I've done that before and the guy said, yeah, I'm like, I'm only been playing for a little while and then i proceeded to play the worst game of kings of war in my life and he absolutely smashed me and he probably thought like what is this? why were you asking me if i've played before have you played before <laughs> i'm going to piggyback off of that and then go into something that's also tied in if it's a new player i will show them every surge i can possibly do because if they're brand new like oh it's my first game i mean i i'm not going to give them a win but I'm going to, you know, like, okay, well, if you move here, I can possibly move this here, turn, and then now I've got two inches to surge. So you need to be careful about it. Do you want to do that? That's something to think about. And so now with an experienced player, if you've played a bunch, I mean, you give me a nice surge, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. But what I would tell for players on how to deal with surge and how to get used to it is... In it's a lot of games, especially I'm going to use chess as the example. You want to try to predict what your opponent's going to do a turn or two ahead of time. And that means, you know, knowing where they can move, what they can do. So you have to do that with all the armies. But with Undead, you have to think, okay, 
Now, they can get four to five extra inches, potentially, from any of those movements. So it does add a little bit extra, but once you get that mentally, like, oh, okay, well, they could move that and then turn and possibly surge. Once you get that idea mentally, it actually surge, I, I, this is going to sound weird, can become a hindrance once you get to those veteran players who are used to it. They can measure. They know exactly where you can be, and they can make sure you can't get to where you need to be. Exactly. And they can use buildings and terrain and other units to keep you from hitting those flanks. Mm-hmm. You got to go through that, getting your teeth kicked in a little bit by a surge army. And then you, cause that's how I learned best. Is, you know, uh, you know, nothing, no, there's no better teacher than Corey Reynolds. You want to get, you want to learn, have Corey whoop. And then you're like, Oh, you come away with a fresh sense of like, okay, I need to do this a lot better. Let's talk about shooting armies. We had a couple questions about them. You know, Nick McElenis asks, what are some great strategies to deal with shooting? with such a generally slow army. And Jake Cherapika asks something similar. What if any changes have helped undead in addressing the bigness weakness of a shooting heavy matchup? So just talk to me generally, guys, how do you guys deal with shooting? And obviously Andrew, this, this isn't for you because you don't do shooting. In the, I'll, in the, I'll in go the, get a beer. Hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a huge, like lists don't take 200 shots or, or whatever, but there's certainly lists that have a sizable shooting component. I actually love to play against lists that have a small to medium amount of shooting because there's a lot of points that, you know, have to invest a lot of their shooting into killing the chaff because it's so chunky that it's either really dicey that they won't even kill the chaff or they put heaps of shots in and the chaff dies and then the whites are unhurt for when they do go in so i actually don't mind um because i i screen my my hammers a little bit of shooting because it often doesn't feel that bad for me get a little bit of heal a little bit of life leech and and i actually do well against something like a uh, yeah where there's heaps and heaps of shots i've 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 literally never played against it so i'll leave it to you guys for me, like you know, terrain. You got you, you got to figure out how to hug that terrain. Get get fifty percent of your base in that marsh uh, or or forest. And also, like you know, it's like I have, I have the added benefit of, of hive defense along with uh, all the heal. You know, it's like that that kind of triple effect. I really mitigate a lot of the effects of shooting, uh, and it will throw your opponent off. Like you know, it's like when they've gone through the first turn and their shooting has really done nothing and and then you heal it all up, then they're going to hang back a little bit. And it's that delay where it's like, like, ooh, they're not moving as fast. Those elves aren't coming as fast across the board anymore. It's like they're hanging back. That's just buying me more time to play in turns four, five, and six. They're not engaging with all of their other hammers until later, later in the game. These are all good things for me. There's four ways you can counter, and you should be trying to get at least three of these every game. One is terrain, because there's always going to be terrain on a board, even if it's bad. Uh, you know that that you know one uh, footprint tree. You know, but you use that terrain. Uh, speed is another part. Again, that's why I like those werewolves, because. Uh, you know, a lot of shooting is 12, it's what, 12, 18, 24, and then you got your artillery at, at the higher numbers. So your uh, werewolves can 
you know, threaten those 12 and 18 range. So that's a good way to counter those. Um, again, I'm used to playing, you know, three to four uh, Scorch Wings across the table from me. So uh, if they remove Scorch Wings from the game, I would have a huge celebration. I hate them with a the passion. <laughs> but Veil of Shadows also is useful. Again, when especially those moments where you have to move out into the open, having that veil there, like, oh, now all of a sudden it's a struggle. And then lastly, I would say heal, uh, agreeing with you, Chris. But the problem with that is if they target in on one unit, they can remove it before you can heal it. So that's why I say like heal is kind of your fourth one on the list to me because it's useful and it's awesome. But if they target down, the unit's gone anyways before you can heal anything. Yeah, if, if, if they allow if you allow focused fire to, to take them off, absolutely. And I've been I've made that mistake myself. You know, it's like try 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 to dilute it out a little bit by only having some of your, like some of your units uh, uh, or or not all of their shooting units can shoot at one unit per se. Try to dilute it, and uh, if you if you can survive their turn of shooting, then there's a good chance that you can heal it all up. But you're absolutely right. Is this army new player friendly? I reckon it is. I think it's easy to learn, hard to master. Surge can get you out of a lot of little positioning issues that, uh, if you know, if you've slightly angled your, your unit wrong um, and a non-surge army, you know, someone finds a little hole in your overlapping charge arcs, you know, that could be almost the game on turn two or one. Um, whereas with surge, it gives you a lot more flexibility. They're, you know, high defense, pretty hardy hit pretty hard so good a good starting army uh not only because you also there's a lot of room to grow in that there's a lot of nuances in the army so you can take it from something that you know is reasonably easy to start and and take it to a pretty high level of play i'd say i'd agree i i think it's i think it's forgiving uh i i think back to when i started in kings of war and uh, i was playing orcs uh, for the first year and a half, too. Uh, and I lost my first 13 games in a row. Uh, and just, I still haven't figured out orcs. So, whatever. Yeah, that's all. Uh, <laughs> I'm dead, you know? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, much, much more forgiving. I think tournament, because that's, like, I jumped into the tournament pool right away. Uh, you know, hanging out with my brother, we just travel to tournaments. If you're looking to just jump into tournaments, no, don't do undead. Stay away until you get some experience. But yeah, if you're like, yeah, they, those guys over there, they look really cool. That group over there, I should say, looks really cool. Uh, I want to play a cool army. Yeah, Undead's perfect. It's great. We've got, again, there's a lot of choices. If you like themes, you can do that. If you're really into modeling, there's so much fun you can do with them, right? Yeah. You don't just have to do a graveyard. Uh, which is what I see most people do. Um, but you can. Like, it's easy to do a graveyard. So uh, it's a great option. I think that side of things for uh, for a lot of new players. I think for people getting into the army, I think for any army, just I always tell them, go with your heart. Just rule of cool. Go with what you think you think is the coolest, what, what, what you vibe with the most. 
Uh, that being said, there, there, are, there are armies that probably aren't as amenable to, to early players. But but I think that if, if you like the undead aesthetic, you got something that you want to build, uh, I don't think you're going to be punished uh, more than any other specific army. My, my thing is there's so many options here. Yeah. There's something for you to love, for everybody to love in this list. If you want to play... You know, the shambling horde of mindless automatons, you know, the zombies and the skeletons, great. If you want to play, you know, a bunch of vampires and werewolves, great. Or something in between. The beautiful thing, and really, if you're a one army kind of person, this is a great army to play because you, <laughs> there are so many units from a competitive standpoint. You may not be using all those units, but from a hobbyist standpoint, you have the uh, a luxury. You know, one final question I have for you guys, what kind of armies do you want to fight against? Jeremy Duval at last year's Adepticon came at me with an ogres. Yeah, and I just had no answers for it. it, it it's like one of the one of the only times that I'm like, it's like, huh? I don't know what I could have done different to have reversed that game. Well, you know, it's like he just uh, ran right over me. And for for me, the answer to that is I, I got to get more reps in against ogres. Uh, you know, it's like it's just a rarity for me to play, but. Yeah, for me, maybe it's just Jeremy. Maybe it's just Jeremy. It's the SOB. He is a piece of work, <laughs> that guy. It, this is a hard one. I, I don't... There's nothing that I hate playing against and there's nothing that I really love. Like, I guess any... We don't see a lot of skew lists and so maybe that, you know. Well, that, that's if you're not talking about Luke, right? <laughs> yeah, he... <laughs> He's the he's an honorary American at times with some of his lists. <laughs> yeah, I I really I mean I like playing against a balanced list because I think that the best general will win. Yeah, I think though what you one one things we we should highlight is this army can play a very balanced style, and those inherently are going to be an all comers list right like there really isn't necessarily one that you're just i mean shooting can be a problem but the rest of them like alpha strike or malay or lee i mean you have tools mm-hmm. and yeah, surge makes up for some of that you know yeah. imbalance so i like to find armies that are speed wise not charged but speed five six something that's sl- a little bit Charge range slower than mine. What are you talking about? Dwarves? <laughs> dwarves is ac- oh non-gunline dwarves. Uh yes, absolutely. Um and anything that is defense four primarily is just I mean, again, all of our hammers are almost all across two. Like the the uh the whites, the vampires, the zombie trolls, and even our some of our chaff, you know. Uh, well, I guess the mummies also are two. So we've got a lot of crush too. So that you know, seeing an army that's crushed four, I love that because it means, like, yeah, I'm hitting you, and most of it's hurting. So, Have you guys played against the Twilight King yet? And what are your thoughts? I got to play uh, against Kyle Kyle, Kyle Prezelinski mm-hmm. at Michigan GT. He was my last game. Yes, I was. I was able to. I, I won't say smashed him up. I was able to beat him. Um, because I was able to keep some of his scoring units out of the. Uh, domination circle but yeah if you can again the surge really helps with getting around those impalers with that defense six yeah you gotta get to the side on those guys and it's sometimes hard to do but you know you guys have the army that can do it with the surge right if anybody can get into the side it's the undead army 
as we close out the show, let's share. Does anybody have a list they want to share with the audience? I have a fun one, but not one I would take to a tournament. With that notice out of the way, give it to us. Let's hear it. Uh, so it'd be two hordes of skeleton spearmen. We'd have two hordes of werewolves. Two regiments of Revenant Cav. A Soul Reaver Cav regiment with uh, Jesse's boots. A Necromancer, Inspiring Talisman, Surge, and Bane Chant. Uh, Undead Standard Bearer, Tome of Darkness. Uh, we actually, we have two Standard Bearers. One with the Tome of Darkness, one's naked. Uh, Morgoth, the Mandatory. Uh, the Lycanus with the Howl. And then, of course, uh, my, again, incredibly mean one, Revenant King, an undead great flying worm. I, I was waiting for that to come. Did you give him Brew of Haste, though? Yes, Brew of Haste. So charge 25. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's a fast list. Again, it's fun. I don't know if I would take it to a tournament, but it would be a lot of fun on a table. Who else got a list? Yeah, I did the same thing. I sort of wrote a, a bit of a fun list around the theme of uh, no more shambling. I'm getting a theme here. Are you guys just fun guys? Is that what it is? You guys aren't competitive. You're just fun guys. No, I think if I think the best undead list is probably something similar to my the list I took to master, or for, you know, for me obviously, is the list I took to Aussie Masters, which I'm sure with a bit of googling people can go and find. So I won't just repeat that. But yeah, so like a bit of a faster undead list: a ghoul horde with hammer of measured force, couple soul reaver infantry. A um, couple of werewolf hordes, one with sharpness, one with strength. Soul Reaver Cav Regiment with the J-Boots. Three Death Pack. That Vampire Lord with Blood Rage, Gnome Glass Shield, and Host Shadow Beast. Lich King with Boots of Levitation, Alchemist Curse. Necro with Conjurer's Staff and Weakness, and Morgoth the Mandatory. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that's pretty solid. And, it, and I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot, a lot of tools in, in that. You know, that... The gnome glass shield is always the one that when I, when oh, I yeah. don't see it coming. <laughs> if you if you if you're getting caught up by the gnome glass shield, bring something with cloak of death. And I realize that's not an option for every army. But yeah, that's a fun that's a fun list, Andrew. You should definitely maybe uh you and Matt could do a game and you could stream it. Maybe you know yeah. it's like you know some people that stream stuff, right? Got someone you know, with a camera channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think if there's anything for, from especially earlier in the conversation, I. Uh, I've been sleeping on that gnome glass shield. Uh, I got to give that a give that a shot, or and then the uh, the, sh the dragon shield. Yeah, dragon charge shield's really great. Just I mean, you catch people out. And I, I think with the combination of the the, the surge as well, that it's the you could surge up and then pop the shield. That's been used on me a number of times. And no, no, interesting. You have to give it a shot. You got a list, Chris? You want to share? I have my last year's Adepticon list. Let's hear it. This is the one that you were just lamenting that Jeremy rolled over you with some with some uh, ogres. Yeah, yeah. If you got ogres, oh, bring them to the table again. So uh, it's two units of revenants. Uh, I think I put the war bow on one of them because I had extra points. Uh, two units of wraiths. I put the Aegis of the Aloha on one and Han's Sanguinary Scripture on the other. Regiments. Yep. Yep. Uh, two regiments of mummies as well. Those are naked. Uh, my two units of whites, uh, hordes, one with wine and one with sharpness. One revenant cav troop unit, a little bit mobile chaff. Two units of death pack, uh, nothing on them. And then the two lich kings, one with conjurer staff, one with amulet of the fireheart. Both have surge 10 and heal six. 
Uh, I always joke about everybody. It's like I try to duplicate everything so I can just know half the rules. <laughs> right. <laughs> Redundancy is king. Yeah, I, I only have so many, so much time to play this game and catch up with all the new stuff. I'm only going to use half the rules. Final question for you guys. What points level does this army work best at? I actually like it at 2000, maybe 2150. When we have had a couple of tournaments at that that I really liked my list for. And then when I had to go to 2300 for Masters, I couldn't really, I was never really happy with whatever that 150 points ended up being. I don't think it works badly at 2300 though. I agree. I, uh, unplugged GT, uh, 1995 points. So there's no triples of anything. Uh, I think I have a nice, nice tight list for that. Uh, and again, like go, going up to 2300, I, I don't feel that I personally make the right choices to gain a lot of that economy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to agree. 1995, 2000 maybe is the best. Part of the reason, uh, again, I'm going to use goblins as an example because I play them a lot. When I actually prepared for a 2000 or a 1999 tournament, dropping 300 points from a 2,300 point list, it's like one unit plus a little extra change. You know, you know, one hammer essentially. Whereas again, goblins, they had to cut out five units. That's huge. So to me, I think that's the big issue is if you're, if you're going from 2,300 to 19, like we're not losing as much, again, unless you're cutting out the chaff. Are you guys going to any events that go up to something like 2,600? Orktown GT out in uh, Massachusetts, they, they go up to 26, and it's a, it is a hell of a time. But, man, you, there's a lot of stuff on the table. The orcs probably love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just all zombies. Just go. <laughs> Chris, to start us off, final thoughts. Well, if anybody ever runs into me uh, in an event in the Northeast or if you're coming to Adepticon, uh, and uh, I guess I guess from this podcast you'll have no idea what I look like, but uh, if you ever see a Chris Pelletier on an event list, please come up, introduce yourself, uh, come and say hi. If, if you're looking for an event in the next few months, Dead of Winter is coming up in Albany. I think that they're sold out, though. Next best, I think, in the spring, uh, Unplugged GT. Their venue has a cafe that serves ice cream. Why not? Come on up. It's a great time. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, final thoughts, Marshall? Undead is a great army. Again, they, we've got that steep learning curve, but uh, it is a lot of fun. And again, they're dead, right? It's all a dead army. So what's not fun about that idea? Yeah, as, as for tournaments, uh, I'll be at Adepticon. Uh, so, Chris, if you're going, I'll be there. Uh, I know my next big one will be Hoosier Storm in February in Indianapolis. So February 17th and 18th. It's a lot of fun. You get a little storm elemental you get to bring in. And uh, I'm going to be bringing in my uh, uh, good old zombie NATO. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Same, same to you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, for the listeners out there, if you've liked what I've had to say, you can hear more at our podcast, Direct Misfire. Or if you've not liked what I've had to say and disagree with all of it, you can hear Benson and Selleck disagree with me over at Direct Misfire. <laughs> um, otherwise, I'll see everyone hopefully at uh, Clash of Kings Australia in early January. And yeah, thanks for having me on. 
Well, that's going to do us tonight. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. And I, and I think it was Corey Reynolds who, who, who perfectly phrases the toilet bowl scenario. Because you get one push token unit in one corner, and then the opposite, you got the opponents, and you guys just swirl around the toilet bowl because yep. you, you really don't want to engage. So this is going to change it up for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up in the U.S., we do it like this, but Andrew probably like to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't do that. Yeah, the other way. We, yeah. we, um, your toilets go the same direction. I, nah, I don't know. I don't know anything about this three-on-one unit. I put them. I put them on three different ones and charge them all forward. And what's this power gaming nonsense? Freaking Australians! Uh, always, no. always a uh, counter meta. So nice. Anybody want to take us out? Not me. Nobody. What do you okay. normally do to take us out? Yeah, yeah. You don't listen to the show, Marshall? I do, oh. but by that point, I'm I'm turning it. I'll tell you, I'll do it if somebody wants to replicate you. I'll the seventh it. hour, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just thought it's sort of like betraying my direct misfire, bros. If I'm understand, <laughs> understand. Well, that's gonna do us tonight, and until next time, keep countercharging.